It's time for another episode of the Pioneer Podcast. I'm Tannen Grace, and as always, I'm joined by Ross Merriam. How you doing, Ross? I am doing quite well. We are uh, we're recording this on a Tuesday evening, so uh, I did Versus Live earlier this afternoon, and we're getting into Theros Beyond Death, and it's really a lot of fun. The set has a lot of has a lot of good cards. You know, I, I think a lot of cards that are going to see significant play, but it doesn't really seem like it has any of the Field of the Dead, Oko, Once Upon a Time type cards that are just going to be miserable. Right. Uh, and that's the hallmark of a good set. So I'm pretty optimistic at this point about what's going on. Um, in uh, I, I know we're Pioneer focused, but I think the biggest thing has been Standard is actually fun for the first time in a while. But uh, I'm pretty excited to see the first time of a new set being added to Pioneer. Yeah. And, you know, I, I don't think we really saw a huge impact when this happened with Modern because it actually took a while for Modern to catch on and to get a lot of tournament support. Uh, I know that's a while ago, so I, I'm guessing that most of our listeners aren't aware of that. But, you know, Modern was created in the summer of 2011. And it really wasn't until like 2013, 2014 that people started playing the format pretty frequently outside of the occasional Grand Prix and the one PTQ season, you know, we're kind of spoiled now with the proliferation of the SCG tour. And uh, we saw Pioneer get adopted super quickly, not only there, but also on the Nerd Rage gaming tour and um, even and online. So I think we're going to see a much more significant impact from the first set in Pioneer than we did maybe nine years ago in, in modern. And that has me excited because, you know, it's just, just new stuff. I think one of the, the real benefits of magic over the years has been the, how dynamic it is. And, you know, it's kind of annoying to always have to keep up with it to some extent, but it's worth it because keeping things fresh is a lot more important than the annoyance of having to acquire new cards. Yeah, uh, like, just thinking about what you said as a whole, and, like, like you know, we're a Pioneer-focused podcast, but I think it's important that Standard is healthy. Like, that's just good for the game of Magic. Otherwise, like, LGSs start to dry up. There's there's a lot of trickle-down, like, economics that happen yeah. if, if that's St- not Standard not is thing. the easiest format to get into, obviously, like, lowest barrier to entry. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it is important for Standard to be fun and interesting, and we, we got there last year, right? A year ago, Standard is fun. Ravnica, uh, Ravnica Allegiance. What was, what was the first set? It wasn't. Was that the first one? There were two Ravnica sets, and I can't. I can't even remember them at this point. Uh, it was a. It was Allegiance, and then War of the Spark was technically, but there was like two before that, right? Yeah. What was the fall set? Two falls ago. <laughs> Man, I, I ask you the names of cards. Come on, yeah. let's be real. I'm but so like, bad. While, at this while he looks this up, I'm gonna fill in the air for like a second. But you have just no to idea. Piggy... Okay. No, I will fill this air. Don't you worry. You have no, like. I used to be gangbusters at this shit. And now, like, I can barely remember what set a card is in, what sets have come out at, at all recently. Guilds Welcome of to becoming older. Holy shit. Yeah, guilds are out. Welcome to becoming older. Yeah. Everyone, by the way, that's listening to this show, whenever it is in the future, like in their car or whatever, they're just laughing at us and screaming at their uh, their their dashboard, like, Guilds of Ravnica, you idiots! You know, <laughs> yeah, like, so... of course it is. Like, yeah, yeah. You know, I used to know, like, every even the set symbols now, I have no idea what the set symbols look like. I don't know what, like, card sets are in. If I had to identify a set or, like, someone, you know, it was, like, my life depended on it, I'm just dead. Yeah. Like, I, I have zero chance. I honestly think the biggest thing is I just don't play much limited anymore. 
Mm-hmm. I'm not. Pl- I'm not trying hard to get on the Pro Tour. I'm not playing Pro Tours, and I'm not playing these limited Grand Prix. And on the SCG Tour, you just never have to play limited. That's when you get to really know all the niche mm-hmm. commons and uncommons of the set, and you, you right, just right. look at them so often that you like you know exactly what everything does. You know the art on everything. You know the set symbols. It's just that kind of repetition from limited that I'm missing, I think, and you know being old and and over the hill. All right, before we get too much in, more into this, how was your weekend? Did you do anything fun? Um, not really, to be honest. I had, I kind of, I I, I poorly planned my holiday season by okay. fly. I I flew back home on New Year's Eve, and that was a Tuesday. And we had a tournament literally that weekend, and then I had another tournament the following weekend. And I just didn't give myself enough time to you know you know the holiday season. Everybody just sort of you know removes themselves from the world, right? Especially in Magic. There's no tournaments. Uh, you know, n- nothing happens. So in this community in particular, like I don't have to work a regular job. So I'm just removed from the world for like a week, week and a half. I go back home to Connecticut, and it's great. I, lo- I love spending time there. Uh, I love seeing my parents and my friends who are there and my siblings, and um, though not necessarily in that order. So don't be mad. So... When I come back, you know, it takes me a day or two to just get back into the swing of things of regular life. And I just didn't have that time. I didn't afford myself that time. Instead, I decided to save like $60 by flying home on New Year's Eve when apparently it was cheaper. And it just, uh, it just went poorly. I just, I didn't like how prepared I was for those two tournaments. Um, and, and I've been kind of frazzled since then. So last weekend, I just. You haven't caught up. You haven't like. Yeah. So that's what I needed to do last weekend. I just caught up. You know, I yeah. I remember uh, um, Corey messaged me at like nine o'clock on Friday night, right? And he he had just finished a stream. He usually streams in the evenings, and he, wa- he was thinking about going out and, and grabbing a beer or two. And he messages me, and I didn't see it till like nine forty-five. Like I don't have my phone on me all the time when I'm in my apartment, and I saw it when I oh I know later. by the way you're impossible to reach sometimes anyway because oh yeah a uh, by design by the way. Uh, so it's quite annoying because it's always right when I need to reach it. But yeah. anyway, so uh, so and I see him, and I literally saw it because my I left my phone on my nightstand, and so I saw it when I got into bed, and I got into bed at like nine forty five because I was just tired, and I messaged him like, yeah, I don't want to go out, and apparently he had you know reached the same conclusion, like uh, he had something to eat after he messaged me and was like, yeah, I'm actually kind of tired, so uh, we saw we saw each other the next day and. Uh, when he thought football was going to be on because he doesn't know the schedule for anything. But uh, regardless, like I went to sleep like 10 o'clock on Friday night and I didn't wake up until like nine or 10 AM the next morning. So it was like 11, 12 hours. I was out and I woke up and I just felt great. Like really, really fantastic. Um, So it was good. Just relaxing weekend away from things. Now I'm getting into the swing of testing for the upcoming events. I've got this weekend off still. So I've got some time to get myself prepared, got, you know, two team events. Every single format seems a little bit up in the air with new cards and post bands and modern and different standard and what's happening in Pioneer exactly because nobody really knows. Um, so I'll, it's going to be a fun couple weeks. Usually I can do about two weeks off and then I get antsy and that's what I have. So I'm looking forward to one more weekend off of getting to really be in the swing of things and prepare. Um, and then getting back onto the grind. So all in all, a good weekend. But in particular, 
is a good weekend because yesterday the Jazz won by 30 points. That's what to say. You're talking about how like you got all this stuff done. You're like got your life in order. But you're like, but the Jazz won by thirty, and that's what's that's what's really yes. important. I have my priorities in order, Tannen. Okay, it goes, you know, Jazz, my well-being, other people's well-being, <laughs> Jazz again, <laughs> and and then everything else. I, the Jazz again really sold me. Like <laughs> now, this sounds more realistic and accurate. By the way, about the travel thing, I traveled on. I I, I made a flight once on Christmas Day, and that was interesting. I flew from New Orleans to London. That's a long flight, Tannen. Yeah. And it's a flight that you lose time on. Yeah. Because you're flying east. Yeah. So you left at what, 6 in the morning? No, it was more like like 9 or 10 a.m., I think. It was like a decent time. You know what I mean? But you're not landing in London until very late Christmas night. Yeah, it was either like really late. I think I landed actually early in the morning. I think it's the way it of, worked. On the 26th on Boxing Day? Yeah, I think so. I can't remember exactly, but I remember people being like awake and alive. But it, yeah, I, I landed Boxing early Day is like a real thing there because they, they do Christmas and like in, they do Christmas where like all the food and stuff happens that day, but they don't open presents until the next day. That's why it's called Boxing Day. And that's when like for them, that's when all the big soccer games are. Like my brother always goes to sleep early christmas night because he's a big soccer fan yeah and he he wants to watch all all the soccer games and they start here at like 9 a.m it was an interesting uh travel experience so you're on one of the giant planes you know like like a 747 or bigger or whatever and um there may have been like 30 something people on the plane you know like there's (laughs) under 50 you know what i mean like there's not a lot so you know like this you know it's like generally you have like the seats of like three or four in the middle and then you have like the then you have the two aisles yeah and then you have the two aisles and then you have like the two seats or whatever on the side Sometimes three. Yeah. So there was enough room at like one point in time, like after the meal, I just got up, got in one of the middle seats, got a pillow and a blanket and just laid down across. Yeah, you, you put all the armrests yes. up yeah. and you just have a, a basically a couch. Yeah, just made a, yeah, just made a couch and like tried to sleep. I, I, I'm one of those people I can't really sleep on a plane. I was also like pretty excited because it was going to be a cool trip, but like. But you basically just missed all of Christmas Day. Uh, at the time, like, so. Uh, you know, this is well, years and years why ago. Why were you going to London, by the way? I, I need more of this story, okay? Uh, we're we're not a Pioneer cast anymore. Sure. We're a Tannen traveling to London cast. Uh, I was uh, in a relationship with somebody at the time, sort of. It's it's hard to, ex- Classic. It's hard to yeah. explain. Could've, I could have guessed that. And she lived in Europe at the time. Okay, which city in Europe? She lived in Paris. And yet you're going to London. We met in London, hung out there for a few days, and then... Uh, went to Paris afterwards. Does she not have family? Uh, yeah, but she was like working abroad and stuff at the time, so she was there. She was in London, right? Already. Her family. Like was, she spent. She was from you here. Know, Christmas Day in Paris, and then like I met her at LSU. Like she was from here. Yeah, and uh, I was supposed to say we did like I stayed like through New Year to New Year's like in Paris or whatever. Blah blah blah. So you just told your family like I'm noping out to go to Europe for Christmas with this chick? Uh, yeah. So like. I have a very small family, like very, very small. I remember the first time I went to like, uh, you know, a significant, like I went to a different girlfriend's, you know, Thanksgiving or something. Like the first time I went yeah, to a it's like 20 people or whatever. And there's like 30 people. And I was just like kind of in the corner, not knowing what to do. You know, it's like, cause I actually, I used to be pretty introverted. You know, I used to like, I actually used to be pretty shy, believe it or not. Just one day I decided I'm not going to be shy anymore. And, you sure. know, just like flip the switch the full other way or whatever. But so, you know, it was Christmas. It would be like, my my stepdad would be there, who I'm not the biggest fan of. Let's just be honest. Uh, my mother, who I, I love dearly, but gets on my nerves, and my brother, who I love dearly, but gets on my nerves. He had no family at the time. It was before he got married and had kids and stuff. So it would just be so like just the us. four of you. Yeah, it'd be like four to maybe yeah. like we might go see like a little bit of one part of our family, maybe. And we just had like no plans for that 
that year or whatever. So we just did everything like the day before. And I was like, yo, peace, I'm out. Okay, okay. My, my family so, somewhat similar. Like, got, we never got together with extended family for holidays. It was just the, the six of us because I have three siblings, two parents, and myself. And then while my my grandfather was still alive, uh, we would, you know, he would be there as well. So it was all, it was just six or seven people. So not, so not much bigger, but you know, growing up on a Christmas tree farm and my mom loving Christmas, like, but the idea of missing it is like it's a sacrilege. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I, I get that, and I, I don't think I would ever do anything like that now unless you know a large money sum of money or something was involved, you know, like something important. But uh, let me, let me ask you one question. Sure, sure. So uh, you flew there on Christmas Day and you stayed through New Year's. So I assume you flew back early January. I stayed for like ten days. I think is the the length of time okay. that I was there. Flew back, flew back on the fifth, something like that. Yeah. Um, how, how did it go? Uh, <laughs> I guess the scale scale of one to ten. Probably like a one, maybe a two. <laughs> <laughs> like just overall. Oh, I shouldn't be laughing, but uh, I am. It's really, it's really <laughs> funny. Uh, Natalie actually heard the the detailed part of the story for the first time very recently because I, I just don't talk about it. It's like a part of my life I don't talk about very often. So, which, which like I don't mind viewers and stuff at home or whatever you, I guess we call it, them. It, it's one of those things where like you're just so much of a different person oh, now, even yeah. yourself. And it's such a horrible story that it's let me, like... Let me put it this way. It doesn't matter. When telling. I think about that Tannen, like when I think about that person, yeah. I hate him. Like I I, I I, was not a good person. Um, and it's, it's not just me and the things that I did, but the things that I allowed to happen around me and, around, and like happened in my life, I'm just not very happy about like the way that I handled things, the way that I did things. Like I learned probably the most about myself in that portion of my life than I did in like all the others. Yeah, did a lot of growing. In, uh, it was London very expensive over those over those ten yeah. days. I bet it. Was. You don't want to know what I that trip cost. <laughs> I bet the food was good though. The food was very good. Uh, I was gonna say I actually enjoy European food uh, quite a bit, unlike most people. But uh, I like the portion sizing a little better and stuff too. Yeah, Magic players like hate going to Europe because of the food, and it makes no sense. I just me. don't get. You know what it is? They try to eat. You can't. You can't like half ass it. You know what I mean? Like you either you need to like you have to spend money on your food. Like you can't go to like what would be like a you know a two or three star restaurant here like it's gonna it's gonna be like whatever you know what i mean like most of the places we you went were like just like nice and it good it doesn't work that it just doesn't work the same way things do in america like, like you can't it, the, the other thing is is like you know, there, there's definitely like different hacks you can do like you know we stayed in relatively cheap hotels not like that it was like cheap and crappy hotels we didn't need like a big ridiculous suite or anything like that like i think we might have had one for actual new year's because we like partied and stuff you know or whatever but like you know we just get like you don't know talk about the hotel rooms in Europe that are a lot smaller. It's like a bathroom, yeah. a bed, and like whatever. Because like we're we're sleeping in there. Like you know what I mean. We get up early, go make sure that we don't waste time, and we're out in the city and doing stuff. And you get home really late. So it's like, why do I need you know this big fancy one? And then you you take the money that you're saving on that, and you spend it on like other cool fun stuff. So instead of like two or three hundred dollars a night, you're looking at more like a hundred bucks a night. You know. And I was like, I I liked that a lot better. And you go to a nice cafe. Yeah, and, there was yeah. a lot of coffee yeah, ingested, a lot, of a lot of wine, a lot of champagne, a lot of bread products, a lot of pastry and bread. a lot of bread products. Yeah, oh, I, yeah. I probably gained like fifteen pounds on this trip. The, the morning pastries at the boulangeries are just yeah, and, out of this fucking world. And you can just go to like anywhere. That's the one thing. Like that didn't matter where you go. You just go to the one down the it, corner. Yeah. And it's always great. Oh yeah. When I, I was there for a week for Protro Paris in 2011. And there were like five within two blocks of my hotel. I went to all of them, and they were all great. Yeah, 
I'm, I'm really glad that we're sharing the story, even though there's not a lot of details, that we're sharing the story with the few thousand people that listen to this, and maybe they <laughs> understand me a little better now or something or whatever, but, like, if you actually look at my, like, career for, like, Magic and Poker, there's definitely a gap where, like, I didn't really play either, and I, you know me, there's there's been a pretty big gap anyway in my Magic career, like, I've been, like, really on, really off, really on, yeah. really off, and then... But if you combine Magic and Poker, there's only one gap. Yeah, so there's this one, and uh, <laughs> I tried to, like... It's a really crazy story. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you one day of the story. I, 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 I'm going to tell the audience, yeah, I, I haven't heard this story. This is not a pre-planned thing. This literally happened organically. <laughs> and I, oof, I, not only do I want to hear the story, I don't want to hear it over like the phone or Discord or anything. I want to hear the story in person. And I want to hear it at a bar where there are drinks on we both need, sides. We need at least a bottle, if not more, because it's, it's yes. a long one. Because there's, there's a lot of preamble to the story, too. The first bottle is on me. Okay, sure. All right, so we'll, we'll, okay. we'll get past this. Uh, I mean, if anybody, uh, I like, I guess I could tell the story at some point in time. I don't really want to. Oh, like, I, we're, I not, we're not telling the yeah. story on on, on the no, no, no. This is not a this is not a podcast story. Yeah. this is a you and me story, sure. and this is a you and your wife story. Yeah. And, she and knows and it pretty well. Brent, now. Brennan will get included too. But yeah. Does Brennan know? Uh, I, he's heard he's guest. heard her name, which is more than more than most people. Yeah. Okay. Uh, anyway. Uh, did you see there was some cool baseball stuff that happened today? <laughs> smooth, smooth. Uh, so the Hall of Fame announcement happened today, which is pretty cool. Um, one part of it really um, just uh, really pissed me off. And it didn't piss me off at all. Yeah, it, like, here's the thing. It, it's about the sanctity of the game. It doesn't matter how much you hate the Yankees or whatever, blah, blah, blah. But Derek Jeter was voted in the Hall of Fame today. That was not a question. That was yeah, going to happen. Obviously, But he was not unanimously voted in one person or should he have been he, he should have been there's there should be multiple no. unanimous players in fall of fame yeah but he's like on the list of players that should be voted in unanimously he's like 100th no, okay that's not true he's definitely a little higher up than than like he's he's probably at least in the top 25 to 30 especially in our lifetime he's the single mo maybe in our lifetime but he's the single most overrated player his in the history defense is overrated everything else was was fine it, well his defense is heinously yes. overrated he, like here's the joke he you talk to anyone actively bad defensive you talk to most of his anyone career. who was a yankee fan and they're like yeah jeter was a jeter was a good shortstop and i'm like what do you mean a good shortstop he's a good hitter and they're like no he's a good defensive shortstop you talk to anyone anywhere else in the country and they're like yeah he was garbage yeah he was just not good like he like it kept making that like jumping Jeter play on balls that any regular shortstop would have just made look routine. Yeah, they would have been planted and throw a strike to first base and not. Yeah, his range was bad. His arm was not the best. He should have been an outfielder. Let's be real. Like, yeah, he should have been moved when they acquired a rock. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, so he made it in and uh, Larry Walker got voted in today. Um, he retired 15 years ago. This was his last year on the ballot. So I'm super happy for for the the man from the great white white north making it in. We we need to go back. We need to go back to Derek. Sure, Jeter. we're not sure. Here. Okay, okay. Hit me, hit me. Come on. You say he was a good hitter, he but was, he was that. He was great. He was exactly no, good. He was, he was not a great hitter. You're you're out of your mind. The, the man had 3,500 hits in his career. He played for like 25 years. <laughs> he did not play for 25. I think he played a little over 20. But here's the thing. I, I don't care what your biases are. You know I hate the Yankees just as much as anybody else. I, I hated everything they represented in the 90s and the 2000s. You know they were. They were a microcosm for a lot of things that were wrong with baseball at the time. You have to respect Derek Jeter and how good I he respect was. Derek Jeter. And I, he's obviously a first ballot Hall of Famer, but he is not like he, he's just not on the level that he was exalted to for all of his career. He was certainly at the time. And you remember this debate in the late 90s between those three American League shortstops. It was A-Rod, Nomar and Jeter. Nomar. 
And during the three-year span where Nomar wasn't horrifically injured, Derek Jeter was the worst of those three. Well, yeah, that doesn't mean that he's not great. Like, you're talking about some of the all-time best shortstops. Like, A-Rod is in a class all of his own, steroids or whatever. Nomar was, you know, didn't play. Didn't, he didn't have the longevity that a lot of these other guys yes. did. But in and, his, and I appreciate longevity. At his I'm peak, a jazz fan. I exalt John Stockton. At okay? his peak? Yeah, of course. But at his peak, Nomar was, like, probably, like, top 10 all-time. Yeah, Nomar was awesome. Here's a th- you have to talk about the intangibles when, it, when you talk to other other people stuff, too. All, all that means, all, when any, for anybody brings this up to me, okay, uh, I, all I think that means is he was on a winning team. Yeah, I, I, I see what you're saying there, but I will say this. The guy definitely, I mean, if you look at his playoff resume and, like, the plays that he made, there were, there was some insane stuff going there. The dude was a winner. And, like, yeah, he played on good teams, but he was actually just a winner, too. And he was a good player, set a good example. I'm a big fan of the way that he goes about it. You know, he's just quiet, doesn't. You know, these are all the things you say about a person who is not as good as you think he is. I, as I'm saying this out loud, I'm thinking that in my mind. I'm like, exactly. Ross is about to roast me. We're gonna have to agree to disagree, but you, you cannot tell me that Jeter was not great. He was great. He was. A, he deserves to be a first ballot Hall of Famer, no question. But this idea that it's an insult that he's not unanimous is ridiculous. I mean, like insult's probably not the right word, but here's the thing: if if you especially when you consider how stringent the Baseball Hall of Fame is. It's not like the other Hall of Fames. It's hard to get in the Baseball Hall of Fame. Yeah, I'm trying it's to hard. find the exact number. They, they have like something like 397 voters for the Hall of Fame, right, per year? Yeah. For, at least for this year. And the number was 396, obviously. So like, yeah. who the fuck left him off the vote? You know, left him off their ballot? Like, sorry for the, sorry for the F-bomb, but... Aren't there still guys that just like refuse to vote for anybody first ballot? Um, I thought that's there like are, I, I don't know about refuse on first ballot. I know there's people that refuse to vote for certain people, and yeah, they, or a lot still of the steroid guys or yeah, they don't they don't vote for the you know the Barry Bonds, the Mark McGuire's, the Sammy Sosa's. You know, like Roger Clemens actually made a pretty big move up on the on the list and stuff today. Palmero, yeah, other guys that were cheaters from that time, but whatever, blah blah blah. I mean, we can agree to disagree. I don't know if you saw this just uh, recently. The Braves just signed Marcelo Zuna for a one-year and $18 million contract. Pretty excited about that one. This is the guy who was closing in Toronto last this year? This is a outfielder that plays for the St. Louis Cardinals. It was really good when he was with the Marlins. Um, Am I thinking of Roberto Asuna? Yes, you are. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just a good outfielder. The fact that he's getting a one-year $18 million deal and he turned down a qualifying offer, which was, I think, 18.5 this year from St. Louis— Plus, he was looking to get like a four-year, sixty million, three-year, fifty million deal, and he took this instead. That's a coup for Atlanta, then. Yeah. So we had to like Donaldson walk. You know, he went to Minnesota. Not super happy about that. But here, here's the thing: Did you have to let him walk, or like they didn't want to pay a hundred million dollars for a thirty-four-year-old third baseman that who has leg problems? Is that what they paid for wherever he went? I thought he got like for who? Donaldson. How no, much did he get uh, from Minnesota? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. We didn't want to pay that contract. Yeah. But how much did he get? I thought he got less than 100. Million. Here's what they don't tell you. Yeah. Minnesota. So if you look at all the big uh, free agents from the season, Minnesota made an offer to all of them. And all of them told them no. No one wanted to play in Minnesota. They gave him $92 million? There's a fifth year that makes it 110 if they... Uh, okay. I didn't realize they gave him that much money. Okay. That makes yeah. sense. Sure. And obviously, you're not going to sign him. Also, 34 years old. our like second or third prospect like top prospect is a third base and he's like actually pretty good he had like a rough season last year but like you know they're they're there's a chance that you know he turns it around he's still a very good prospect you know yeah. and, and could take over that plus we have like other people that could play that position and if you can only sure. spend 18 million versus 100 million and then yeah, give you're yourself not, open it's not giving that guy that much money yeah it was it came down to dollars and cents you know whichever thing comes down to so we have vamped a lot 
well, this episode. You brought up a very interesting story that I. Had I to apologize, by the way. Oh, I'm you should so not. sorry. This yeah. is going to be the the most listened to episode of the entire Pioneer cast, and it's solely because of that intro. Bet. <laughs> Bet. I'll tell people not to listen. God damn it. <laughs> oh, I will be. Oh, I'll I will be not. It. I will not send Brent my half of the show. <laughs> I'll listen to it and just re-record it. I'll just oh. like, I'll just do my half. You don't have to be there. <laughs> okay. Yeah. We'll we'll just he'll just splice it together. Brent's a, a magician. He'll figure it out. Yeah. It's not really robotic. I'll just say random shit. Okay. So let's start talking about magic then. If you really want to talk about magic, I guess. I mean, we don't have to. I mean, like we've done a non-magic episode before. <laughs> it was, it was all mailbaggy. We could do we could do a non-magic like cat. I don't know how we would manage to do it. It would have to be after something significant like. You know, uh, like some huge thing in baseball or, or basketball, so that one of us could get the other going, and then we could go on tangents. Yeah, but it'd be difficult th- to do. I think if you got me like, if you wanted me to talk about the entire off season as a whole for baseball, I could maybe condense it into an hour if I really went hard. <laughs> or if you wanted to talk about like the Astros cheating scandal that happened last week and a lot of that stuff, I don't love weighing in on that stuff too much because like no one knows what's true and what's not true besides the arbiters and people who like actually have the information. We just have random stuff from Twitter. And I will say this, the Twitter mob is really good at figuring stuff out and like going back and researching. It's really funny. So one of the people who was doing the investigations actually quote unquote outsourced this to Twitter. They just posted stuff to Twitter and people went back and watched all the games and would post stuff and tag him. And he's like, Oh, okay. And then he would go find the game and find the official source and like watch it. And he was like, yeah, it made my life a lot easier because this got talked about on Twitter. I just got to quote unquote outsource. He didn't, he didn't like legitimately do it. He just went and found, you know, he'd be like search Twitter for like, you know, like Astros and people would just be posting stuff about her, like Altuve, you know, like the people who were cheaters and stuff. Just, just doing his research. Yeah. Cause he's like, he's like, you know, these people that are fans of the team, they're, you know, they're in there and he's like, they're watching every, every damn game. He's like, I can't watch every game. I'm not an Astros guy. You know, like these people are deranged. Like they, Hey, don't say that. I watched probably like 150 games last year. Like, easy. I don't think I missed more than 10. These people includes Tannen. <laughs> yes, yes, I am included. Um, So people joke about that all the time. I can talk about it for two seconds. People joke about it all the time. Like, how do you like that? Like, A, I like it. Obviously, I like it a lot. I'm very invested. I follow the minor leagues. You know, I go to games, et cetera, et cetera. But, like, when you think about it, right? Like, what's your favorite TV show? You know, I'm not, I'm not of, this is a rhetorical question. This is a rhetorical question. Sure, The Simpsons for you, right? Yeah, exactly. All right. Would you just watch The Simpsons every day? I mean, I did for about half, no, maybe over half my life, something, something around there. Exactly. Now, let, let's say for like half the year, they just had a new Simpsons episode almost every day, but it was three hours long. <laughs> Would you watch it? Well, if it or was get around the, to it, if it was at the quality of, of you know, peak Simpsons. Yeah, of course. I, I'll tell you, okay, I'll give you my analog, right? So, in, you know, early to mid 2000s, when DVDs are exploding and yeah. everywhere and they're commonplace because they rose in the late 90s, uh, they started putting out box sets of The Simpsons. And I would get the new box set and a new How season. How many do you own? I own the first 11, I think. Okay. And I would get a new one basically every six months or so when they released it. And The Simpsons box sets are actually awesome because every single they do commentary in every episode. I know a lot of TV shows, they would have commentary right. tracks for like four or five episodes. Simpsons, they did every episode. That's absurd, by the way. Yeah. So... And I would, I would get it, I would come home, and I would spend whatever time I needed to do, like, any time that was not taken up by school or anything else I was doing, I was watching The Simpsons, and I watched the entire season in order, 
And then I watched every episode with commentary in order. And it would usually take me two or three days. And these are 25 episode seasons. Granted, right. it's, you know, 22 minutes an episode. Yeah. So you're talking like 16 hours of content, maybe more. I was yeah. done, you know, within two or three days every time. And I just did that every six months for like five years straight. And so it's going to be a little harder for me this year. I'm wondering to see what it's going to look like this year. But, you know, last year I was playing Magic and Poker and like the years before. Like that was a big habit that I had. Like when I lived in Vegas, I would always see when the game is the next day. Because if it was like a noon game, that means I had to get up at like 8 a.m. to watch it or whatever. You know, like blah, blah, blah. Because, you know, it's a three-hour difference. And I would get up, like go to a casino. I would like, you know, Ross can see me right now. I would have like, you know, the chips in front of me. And I'd have like my phone like propped up against the chips. And like I'd have my headphones in. So I could just like watch the game. You know, and I could you were work watching while the game doing at the table. Yeah. They let you have a phone there? Yeah, they let you have a phone. They even have... So there's this new thing at most poker tables. This is like countrywide now, but it, it was like very big in Vegas. Almost every single table in Vegas, um, underneath it, they glued a ring of plugs. So you can actually just plug charge. your phone in. Yeah. yeah, you can just charge right there. Or they have the USB thing. And then they have like their own Wi-Fi in like almost every room. Sure. So I was just like, yeah, this is great. I can Wi-Fi and like my phone doesn't die. So I didn't have to bring the... You know, the big the block charger. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. back then the chargers were like huge bricks, yep. you know, and they got hot and stuff like that. So, um, you know, I don't know. It's just like it's it's the best reality TV on, on TV, like I think, because it's, it's actually real well, as far as you can get it. You know, most reality TV is actually scripted and stuff like blah, blah, blah. Or they set things up. This is a little harder to fake and stuff. And so I like it. You know, it's just my thing. Oh, sports are great. Like, and I love the, you know. To me, they're, they're, I don't have, like, you know, any huge regional allegiances, but I just want to have a team that I follow and that I care about because it just makes everything more interesting. Oh, is it really cool when they win, like, a lot? Like, when they win, like, say, like, a national championship? Like, what happened two weeks ago again? Can anybody remind me? Or is it really not even two weeks, but... You have no idea what's going to happen if, if slash when the Jazz ever win an NBA title. If they win and you want to go, I will go with you. Like, I will... I am. I, I don't I am, mean go. I mean the next episode that we record. It's just going to be me, like... No, that's fine. I'll just interrupt you in the middle of a discussion on something else. And start you screaming jazz. I'll just, yeah. I'll just sit out that episode and get another basketball fan, like a real... I'll get, like, Patrick Sullivan to come sit on the show or something, and y'all can just spew poetically about you're, the Utah You're going to have to pay that man a lot of money. <laughs> I, I guarantee you there's a way we can get him on the show. Yeah. I'll just I'll find out what his favorite his favorite scotch or whatever is. I think I used to note this, actually, if I, if I thought about it hard enough. Scotch might be a good way to do it. I was say, I'll just get him a bottle of whatever. You know, I'm sure there's I'm sure there's a way we can make this happen. Okay, we are well into this, and we have not talked a second. Hey, I'm time. committed now. Like, <laughs> you, I was going to say, I'm committed. Let's, let's, let's transition. Okay, because okay, I did actually really like uh, the challenge uh, info that we got this weekend. So there was a Pioneer Challenge. You know, we spent a lot of the time before starting to record talking about this. Yeah, we talked about it for like a solid 20 minutes. Yeah, like, we're, and then we started talking for a half an hour about literally anything else yeah. once we started recording, which is yeah. probably the opposite of how things should go. I, okay, so hold on. I think it was like the 31 minute mark is what I'm looking at right here. So I might yeah. actually just put out a, when I tweet it, be like 30, for the first 31 minutes, non-magic related. Just, just for people who really want the magic, just the magic part of the show. Because I guarantee you there's a few listeners out there who are like, man, I hate the first five or 10 minutes of this show. And they just talk about. <laughs> Bullshit! And it is more than five to minutes. I don't even have to hear about Ross's time. beard or fucking belts one more time. <laughs> I'm gonna punch someone. By the way, when we had the discussion about belts, Ari Lax personally yeah. messaged me the next day and was like, "What is this belt? I have to fucking get it." Like, I, I'm cussing a lot on today's show. He's like, "I have to get this belt." We had a long discussion about belts, and I was like. I feel like such an adult right now. Have you reached out to get a sponsorship from this belt company yet? So there's a there's a few that I'm gonna talk about. There's, there's like a belt company. Um, there's somebody else who um, I mean something else. 
I, and uh, then that one I think I told you about, uh, what is it, Green Chef? I think was the name of it. The the vegetarian v- slash vegan meal service that they bring service? to your house. Yeah, because yeah, I was like, I was like, man, I have almost as many Twitter followers as they do. I could like message and be like, yeah. look, I love your product. Like, what happens if I just tweet about it? Can you give me a code or something? You know, like, yeah, let's let we uh, we gotta start getting some. We can get some fun sponsors with the tangents that we go on. Oh yeah, uh, we are we are ready to get. Did I ever tell you about this? Um, when I did the 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 Hearthstone show when I was doing that for a living. We, um, my co-caster was Nathan Zamora, or that's admirable for anybody at home that, you know, I'm sure there's some correlation between the hearts. Have you ever, have you ever seen him? Uh, he has a beard, right? He, he, okay. So like your beard is like, like, let's say it's like yeah, a four. He, he, he has a large beard. His is like a, his is like an eight. Yeah. He's yeah. got like a beard. He's, he looks like Gimli. You know what I mean? He's like a, he's a short stout dude. He like works out, but he has like a big ass beard. Yeah. He has, um, I, I would say it's like, mine is like the kind of beard you would grow if you were a hipster trying to look like a lumberjack. Okay. And his is the kind of beard that you would grow if you were an actual lumberjack and just didn't have time <laughs> to trim your beard at all because you were in the woods for 12 hours a day chopping down actual trees and doing actual labor. Yeah. So we one of our sponsors for the show amongst like UFC and all the other stuff was a like a, a men's beard company you know they had sold like oils and all this other stuff yep. and i was like that just makes sense you know it's like a product he can use he can like talk about you know i don't have a beard so like i couldn't talk about it on air you like know. you don't use any products i, I use a lot of them <laughs> <laughs> i've got products in my hair like almost all the time yeah especially now with the new job i'm definitely like a little more i get my hair cut a little more often etc cetera, etc cetera. but i mean a little more on top of the grooming yeah, I I've, I spent like most of my first check on like new clothes and stuff, you know, like the new wardrobe for, for work and stuff. Anyway, uh, Pioneer Top 8 Challenge thing. <laughs> God, we're so bad this episode. This is great. This I'm is sure a... there's people that are just loving this, by the way. Oh, yeah. It, so, it, well, it's, 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 it's a 1 or a 10, right? Like everybody either comes at us and it's like, shut the fuck up and talk about magic, you pieces of shit. I don't care about you as people at all. You are mindless drones who just tell me how to win my FNM. And then you have the people who are just like, this is great. Now I feel really connected to you. Yeah. And if you are in the latter group, we love you. And if you're in the former group, please don't go away. We need you yeah. to. <laughs> no, because like it's, the funny thing is, is I love that you put that. I would rather be like a high variant show for parts of it where like parts of it are 10 for you and parts for one than just like always be a five. I would just stop listening to a show that's always a five. You know, I make the the analogy to every single Mario sports game. Nobody ever chooses to be Mario and Luigi in those games because they're always like a three at every attribute. Mm-hmm. You're always like the either the the giant guy who's really slow, the Donkey Kong or Bowser, or you're the super fast people who are tiny, Toad and Peach and Yoshi. Nobody's ever the the middle of Mario's and Luigi's. So here, here's here's a funny random fact about me. Okay, um, did you know they made a Mario Golf game yes. on the sixty four? Have you ever played it? Uh, I probably have, but not in a very long time. Okay, so I, I played it quite a bit. And yeah. so all the characters on there are, are, are the same. Like, nobody has a different... Like, some people hit it further or whatever. You know, like, there's there's some attributes if I remember right. I can't remember. Yeah. But I can't remember all the small details. Um, there was a point in time where I would have played any person in the world for any amount of money, and I'm not joking you. I might have been the best player in the world of that game. I could actually play rounds with my eyes closed. I had it just, like, the timing of it and everything downed and stuff. And I would... The way the game is made, it's like a zero sum almost on certain things. Like things don't change. So like I could never miss a putt. My putt could be like 197 feet. I'm just going to drain it. It's like the first couple Tiger Woods that came out. Like I would legit shoot like 40 under and stuff and like 36 under. Like I remember I, I played some local tournament here and people, I like held the controller differently 
than people, you know, because I was just hitting the ball further and then you had to like hit the button really fast and, you know, yeah. to, like power up and stuff. It was pretty absurd. But like there was, you know, the, you know, people are like, oh, I'm just randomly good at some random ass game. Mario Golf, I was like probably in the top like smallest percentile percentage in the world of players. Yeah. Especially because very few people. Play yeah. I mean, we're talking about like maybe like a few thousand people played this game and, you know, like, I, like, let's put this way, I would win the world championships and they would like give me like a cool controller. Like there wouldn't even be a cash prize. <laughs> like it's that yeah. kind of game. You know? No, that's awesome. Like just being like really awesome at things is it's, I don't know. Yeah, that doesn't do anything for you, Ross, by the way. I never got anything from this. Oh yeah. But you feel a, a, a smug sense of self-satisfaction. And that's all I ever want in life. It's like the GoldenEye thing. You know, everyone was the best player at GoldenEye. They're all like, oh, I just, you know, because like that was the first multiplayer shooter. People were like absurdly good. I was obviously very good at this game, just like everybody else. But like Mario Golf was my shit. Like I would destroy you in that game. I bet you would. All right. Not you. Okay. The, the figurative you, Ross. <laughs> Not you <laughs> specifically. Anyway. I am going to play all the Mario Golf over the next two years and randomly challenge you. Yeah, I'm going to like need like an hour and I probably still beat the shit out of you. <laughs> anyway. Okay, so the Pioneer Challenge um, was won by... Sorry, what's Pioneer? Uh, it's this magic format that we're supposed to talk about. It's the name of our podcast. We should have been talking about probably the last like 25 minutes. Are you sure? that is is this not the Tannen and Ross bullshit hour? I think it would be the Ross and Tannen show. That flows a little better than the Tannen and Ross uh, yeah. show. Also, I would obviously come first. Let's be yeah. honest. Well, yeah. I mean... That's how I expect all of your clandestine uh, interactions happen. <laughs> Maybe you need to watch that video that people were talking about on Twitter a little more. Wow. <laughs> wow. I was going to try to work that one in somewhere in the show, and you laid it up so easy. Wow. Oh, my God. You wrote on your hand not to talk about it, too. And just I, couldn't, I really couldn't did. Couldn't I really yourself. did. Look at the hand. Look at the hand. It says no multiples. <laughs> Okay. All right. I think I just broke myself. <laughs> that now we know we've gotten. We're going too far. Okay. We need to rein it back in. Yeah, we need to sure. talk about some pioneer. I will say this: the 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 percentage of our show that understood those revenues right now just lost it. Like oh, they yeah. enjoyed that quite a bit. So Theros Beyond Death, it's here. People have been playing it all weekend. There was a pioneer challenge that we found very interesting. We talked literally about the results of this challenge for you know twenty thirty minutes, like Tannen said before we started recording and honestly like th there's it's interesting in, on multiple levels because one you see a lot of the established archetypes that we know are essentially part of the top tier of the metagame right now that we see a chunky red deck we see a mono black aggro deck we see an azorius control deck those are the three most popular decks we see a couple copies of the niv mizzet deck that have arisen over you know the last couple weeks and are getting more popular and are you know really have now, I think, staked their claim and solidified their spot among this top tier. You know, these niv decks are here. They're going to be a big deck to beat at the upcoming Players Tour that is Pioneer and are something that you should keep in mind if you're going to either of the upcoming Team Constructed Opens. But we also see some, you know, adjustments to these lists. We see some new cards in these lists. And then we see the biggest newcomer from... Theros Beyond Death, and that is Underworld Breach. In fifth place from Yu Yun, uh, you know, this list exoed the Swiss, so they were in first place uh, after the Swiss portion, lost in the quarterfinals, unfortunately. It's a pretty typical, you know, Lotus Field deck. We see the stages, the Lotus Fields, all the core of that deck, and that Chronic Flooding and Underworld Breach, but also Wolf Willow Haven, 
as it you know a piece of acceleration instead of we've normally seen our broiler grazer and or growth spiral in that slot it just makes sense right with like hidden strings like untapping two lands now you can untap a lotus field and a land that has wolf willow haven on it and you just yeah. get a ton of mana oh i agree and uh, and i think it's a, a great addition to the deck i don't think you're basically ever making a wolf unless you I, need to block I can't to die yeah, yeah i can't imagine yeah um and but it is quite good i think it's just a really good card people really like, rampant growth is just a very good magic card right and if it were in pioneer it would see play in pioneer um there's a reason they don't give us two mana ramp consistently anymore and this is a two mana ramp spell that is going to be really good in standard because it synergizes all these enchantment synergies from Terrace beyond death and um it's not know, super dead late game you know yeah you get super it, late yeah in that format yeah the 2-2 two two is going to be more relevant and here it's just a two-mana ramp spell that's more consistent than growth spiral i do want to say one thing real quick if, if you play this deck and you play this card uh quick little pro tip put it on your basics if you can or your lotus field which has hexproof yeah or hexproof yeah don't yeah. expose it to ld yeah yeah to, anyway, yeah, to feel the ruin i agree yeah definitely something to keep in mind but this chronic flooding underworld breach combo which is just self-sustaining you know you, you tap your lands for two mana one of them is flooding on it mill three you exile those three cards to cast hidden stargs from your graveyard you untap the two lands rinse out of the repeat eventually you get your one fastest oracle which is a very clean way to win the game also from theros beyond death but not like a super important part of the deck uh just a slight upgrade there but this shell right now this is sort of the level zero shell just include it into the lotus field deck that has been a fringe player for a couple weeks now. But we're seeing a little bit of playing around with it. I know Todd Anderson has been playing a bit with it. Uh, there's a 5-0 list from the league that is just straight is it that doesn't even play Lotus Field and is just trying to you know loop Hidden Stirrings through Chronic Flooding. It's more of like a Storm-type deck, yeah. Yeah. So uh, the, the jury is very much out as to what the best shell specifically is for this deck. But the combination of Underworld Breach and Chronic Flooding is very powerful. The card Underworld Breach by itself, incredibly powerful. I honestly, like, how? Why? What? Just, just why? Underworld Breach? There's, like, just stop. Stop so, doing these things. So the way I envision it, it's kind of like the way that, like, Jace the Mind Sculptor Oko and some of these other cards came through is... um. You know, you, you talk about how there's like, you know, the people who make the cards or whatever, and they, they have their meetings. And so like they come in for a meeting one day and they're talking about all these cards that they're going to put in the set. And then five minutes left is in the meeting, right? Everybody's looking at their watch. They're like, yo, I want to go to lunch. You need to go to the Zapplebee's or whatever that they go to. Or like they're about to go home yeah. for the day. You need to get me some all-you-can-eat riblets or something. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Yo, those breadsticks and that salad ain't going to eat themselves. Somebody's <laughs> got to put a dent in that shit. But like, you know... uh at the, at the end, they were just like, oh, yeah, and, like, right before we leave, uh, here's Underworld Breach. And they showed it, and they kind of just, like, sh shoot it in. It's kind of like, what is it called? It's, like, piggybacking or whatever, you know, when someone writes a big, long law, and they want to get one little extra thing, and so they add it at the end or whatever. Yeah, nobody, nobody's going to read this. And, and, you know, they just they slip it right in, and everyone's like, God, I'm tired. Like, either, you know, it's time to go to lunch, or it's time to end the day and go to happy hour. And, and everybody's like, you know, we're just done. We're off it. And they just sort of let it go through. Yeah. I'm I'm with you. Like that's how things like this happen because there are, there are just certain very obvious things that just constantly get broken. You know, lands that make a ton of mana. You know, uh, spells that cost zero mana and have any marginal impact on the game. Uh, you know, it, it doesn't matter how small. Basically, every single one of the zero mana cards from 
New Phyrexia has seen play. Even Marrow Shards occasionally saw play in sideboards. Yeah, it was, like, very important, killing Delver of Secrets and stuff in, like, yeah, certain matchups and, and, like, Lingering shit. Souls tokens. Yeah. yeah. But, like, mutagenic growth, like, just, just stop. Just stop. Now, I, I will stop say this uh, real quick, not to go down the, the rabbit hole about bans and stuff or whatever. I, I do like a Wizards of the Coast that makes mistakes instead of one that never makes mistakes. You know, sure. like, we do get many powerful cards. I'm, I'm speaking um, in hyperbole. Okay. Yeah, of course. But when I look at a card like this, it's the same thing that I talk about, like certain cards that have kind of like slipped through the cracks, never got broken in their like standard heyday or, you know, they're in legacy where it's fine. Where when you look at a card like this and you look at a card like show and tell or cards like that in the way you read it. And when you look at it, you're like, this card has never done a fair thing ever in its life. Every time it does something, it does something inherently broken. And that's what yeah. this card does. And, and it's so clean. Like, you get to cast any non-land card. It's not like it's just instant or sorcery or there's a lot of restriction. Obviously, like, yeah. The, that's the, baffling to me, by the way. I Like, I had to read it three times. I'm like, there, there's no restriction on this card. Yeah, like you, the fact that you get to cast the Chronic Flooding from the graveyard so you can, like, pitch it to a pour of the pages or mill it over or whatever with strategic planning while you dig for other things is really huge. Because it means that, like, once you get to basically six mana... Like, Underworld Breach ends the game. Because you almost always have the other two pieces in your graveyard. And you just go Breach, Chronic Flooding, one of my two remaining untapped lands. Tap those, cast Hidden Stirrings, untap them, and now I'm off to the races. And that's the other part is, the cards that you cast don't get exiled. And I get that, like, they get escaped so that, like, you're you're scavenging from your graveyard to cast them. But obviously, like, there's got to be something that just fills the graveyard and makes this card self-sustaining. And we found it in Chronic Flooding. I've seen some, like, non-chronic flooding wins with this deck, too. Just, like, looping enough hidden stirrings and a pour of the pages and strategic plannings to just get there. Mm-hmm. Which it, I think is also a bad sign. Like, it might right. be that the best version of this deck doesn't even play chronic flooding. That that card is kind of training wheels until we really, you know, get the engine going. I'd say probably wait till... There's a chance it happens at one of the, the Pioneer events coming up, like the team events or whatever. But I'd, I'd say that the Players Tour, if there is a broken version of this deck, you best believe one of those guys is going to break this like yeah you know i think of canister and people like that it's like or a sam black getting their hands on this they're going to break it if this is breakable i agree and uh, i know there there's a lot of talk now of how like weak underworld breach in general is to graveyard hate like rest in peace and leyline the void but what has struck me about the card is that it is so consistent in a vacuum that i think the current lists are a little bit too linear and I think they can afford to have a lot more answers to hate cards than they do and still be consistent enough to compete um, against the goldfish. So, and once they do that, you know, answering the hate becomes a lot more obtainable. I just, the, the card on World Breach just, it just seems a little bit too much to me. I, I know I talked about lands that tap for too much mana being another sort of class of card that they should stay away from. But Lotus Field, I think, is executed pretty well. Yeah, you know, so it is abusable if you try really hard. People played it with Blood Sun um, for a little bit. It, like you have to put hidden strings in your deck in Pioneer and yeah. Modern to take advantage of this card. Like, and so you really have to try. And when you do it, it does cool things. That that I like. I like the fact that the Lotus Field deck exists in Pioneer. I I, I love that just the tier one point five tier two combo decks. Yeah. Not only do I love playing them, but I love them existing to just keep people honest and keep the metagame from devolving into this arms race, I just want to be fair and more fair than you. 
those are the kind of metagames where you get people playing Niv-Mizzet decks, but like ex even extreme versions of them. Uh, and I, I think that's unhealthy to a degree. So I like things like this acting as that check, but like it gets really bad if these decks are too good. So it's, uh, and I'm nervous about Underworld Breach. Um, I am too. It, it, it is, it's just really good. And like none of these lists seem super tuned to me, right? Like n none of them really. And that like you can have different cards in your sideboard to help against hate. You can sidestep them with like Thing in the Ice or some other creature threat right. and play a fair game that way. Um, I, I just think there's a lot left to be explored here. And the base is already so good that some, I, I would be as surprised at this point if somebody doesn't just break that card in two. It's actually, it is really at the top of my list right now of cards that are going to be banned in the format. Yeah, absolutely. I, I can definitely see that. I mean, it's got one of the other cards in the deck that's been on the watch list for a while, Dig Through Time. So <clears throat> hopefully it doesn't get just Dig Through Time banned and then they don't ban that and they, the deck still exists or whatever. Because you know, be they, horrible. they do weird dig. stuff like that. Yeah, but, and Dig is a nice card to have in the format. It's not like Underworld Breach is this big chase, like mythic. Like even, even if they had to ban it a month from now, it would not be a huge deal. Card can't be that expensive, right? No, I don't think so. Well, I mean, like maybe it's expensive right this second because it's brand new and it's like there might be hot. It might be a couple bucks, but it's a rare. It's not a mythic, so yeah. So it's not gonna. Not Speaking gonna of dig day. through time, it did actually win the challenge this weekend. Yeah, they're, they're seven bucks right now in SCG. So okay, that's 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 a fair fair amount. But if you look at the winning deck this week, it's a deck that you know we talked about probably being the gatekeeper of the format since, you know, the last big ban, and that's blue-white control. You've been a fan of this deck for a yeah, while. Yeah, I've been a fan of this deck for a while. I, I don't know. I, I, I like my decks. I'm like one and the other. I like to do all the things or none of the things, you know? And uh, <clears throat> so one of the things I liked about this one is when I look at it, I'm like, you know, this deck's really clean. You know, you see four verdicts. That's like the, the thing you're always going to see. You're burying then, the lead here. You're burying the lead. Okay. I don't mean to interrupt you. Yeah, go ahead. You're burying the lead. Just go ahead. Do it. This is a Wafo Tapa Azorius control list. Okay. Yeah, so we're not we're not messing around. Yeah, this is so when Wafatapa builds a control deck, you listen. Okay, that's how it works. That's the law. I didn't write the law. It's been around for a while, but and, and maybe some of you don't quite know who Wafatapa is because it's a little past his heyday. Um, but he's probably the best control player of all time. Okay, builds his control decks a little bit differently than most. Oh, he's he's a weirdo when it comes to it. Yeah, plays them differently than most because he's way better than us. Mm -hmm. Okay, but he, unsurprisingly, has built his control deck a little bit differently than most. And I think that's what you're getting into. But it's important to preface that with this is a Wafa Tapa deck. So I remember sitting next to him at a Grand Prix once during the Callblade heyday, and he was playing blue-black control. Like, you know, the deck that was like, you know, geared to beat Callblade, but it didn't really. And I, I remember I was like, oh, man, I get to like watch him do this or whatever. So I'm like trying to pay attention. And... He wins the die roll and he goes, "I'll go second. And I'm just like, "What?" That was, li that was literally my question to you. Was he was he one of the people that chose to draw? Because yeah, I knew there was a contingent of people who played blue black and chose to draw in that matchup. And I I still to this day don't understand it because one of the key cards in the matchup was Squadron Hawk that you needed to mana lake, and if you're on the draw, you can't. <laughs> I'm trying to, but like the reasoning behind it was he wanted the extra card, obviously, but he yeah. thought that I think he was playing four Inquisition of Kozilek, and he was like, if I have an Inquisition in my opening hand, it's so much better to be on the draw because I can take their two drop that or Stoneforge Mystic, but he could beat a Stoneforge Mystic, you know, that kind of thing. Anyway, um, his deck is pretty cool, and the weird Waffa Tapa thing that we're getting at that we buried quite a bit is uh, there's a four of or three of missing from this deck that's in most blue-white decks. There are no time ravelers in this deck. 
Yeah, it's easy to scroll through the deck list and see Teferi listed there and just be like, oh, that's normal. But it's just Teferi Hero of Dominaria. Yeah. There's no Time Ravelers. There's one Narset in the main, which is kind of interesting. Because if you think, like, he doesn't want to tap out on three ever, that, that kind of makes sense. But he's still got the one Narset. You know what kind of upsets me about this deck? And, and I, I'm upset. So he has three Teferi and one Narset, like you said. But there's another Planeswalker. There's an Elspeth in this deck. I'm upset there's an Elspeth. <laughs> like Dude. I thought, you know, originally it's like his deck has three Castle Arvindales and it's three white castles, and he's like, yeah, that's it, that's all I need. Or I'll just I'll just deck them with Teferi, like you know, I'll just loop Teferi. I don't think Wafotub has ever been like that um, hard lined. He always has a win condition, yeah, yeah. He ha- he does frequently. You know, he wants the game over with, yeah, yeah. Have that one win condition, like when he taps out, he means it. Yeah, <laughs> that's a that's a that's a good way to put it for sure. I mean, other than that, you're looking at a pretty stock list in the instant section, except for there's there's a couple of card changes. Like, there's no Absorb in this deck. There's Sinister Sabotage. And four copies, too. Mm-hmm. I often see, like, two to three Absorb and no other three-mana counters. But, I mean, if you're not tapping out on three for, for Teferi anymore, you need a counterspell on three. Yeah, I got that That also makes sense. And then he's got three copies of Glimmer of Genius versus zero of Hieroglyphic Illumination. And so this is an interesting one for me, right? Because you see Sinister Sabotage getting played. And you've got to think of a couple of reasons why you're playing Silver Absorb. I, I, I honestly think that it's a better card right now. Like, I don't think the three life matters. It's a little bit easier to cast. You're thinking of one blue, blue instead of blue, blue, white, right? You know, this deck has three Field of Runs in it. So you want to make sure, you know, in two planes, you want to make sure that you are you can cast your stuff, you know, a lot of islands. But the Surveil is big, right? Like, it helps fuel your dig through times. And that's a reason to, to play this. And the thing is, there's only two dig through times in here. So you're not like going super hard, but if you're trying to fuel your dig-through times a lot, you would play Hieroglyph Illumination over Glimmer, so, like, that's maybe what he's leaning at here, right? And But that means he's kind of split. So, honestly, like, to me, that means that that variable is not that big in his mind, and in reality, he just thinks Sinister Sabotage and Glimmer of Genius are the better options in each choice over Absorb and Hieroglyphic Illumination, respectively. So Now, he does have three Sensor, four Opt, four Azurius Charm, so we're getting through this deck pretty fast. Like, he, he's going to be cycling quite a bit. In the also, there's a cast out up anything. there in the enchantment section, so yeah. uh, definitely cycling quite a bit. I think he just really... That, like, I think he really he's just built his deck to be a little bit more reactive, right? He doesn't have the Teferis. He's staying back a little bit more, not tapping out. And Sinister Sabotage and Glimmer of Genius are both cards that help you just tear through your deck. So his deck has a, has even more velocity than the average Azorius deck. Uh, he's sort of leveled up that aspect of the deck enough to where he's going to find his Supreme Verdicts on time. He's going to find, you know, his key answers. Have that Dovin's Veto. You know, late game, he's going to find his one copy of Elspeth or one copy of Sphinx's Revelation to really bury you. He's going to find his sideboard cards. That's the other thing. Like, he's got one copy of Descend Upon the Sinful. You know, it's not super easy for this deck to achieve Delirium, but if you're waiting till the late game, yeah, you can do it. And if you, you know, I assume it's mainly just as an exile, you know, clause against things like, you know, Rekindling Phoenix. The Sultai Dredge deck. Yeah, the Dredge deck. But if you get the 4-4, like, you know, the card is awesome. So a very powerful singleton to tutor for, or not tutor for, but to dig for during the course of the game. He's got one Aetherling in the sideboard, really powerful control mirrors. So... Definitely, you know, cognizant of these singleton cards that are super powerful and making sure his deck can access them consistently, even over the course of a longer game. Yeah, absolutely. One more thing I wanted to talk about on the sideboard. There are three Dream Trawlers in the sideboard, a card that's getting a lot of press that didn't get a lot of press during the the spoiler season. But now people are seeing how good it is and limited, and they're starting to put it into their decks. 
Yeah. This card's messed up. I think this this is a card that everybody saw as more of like, yeah, this seems like a good control finisher, and it'll yeah. probably be where it is, and it's more than that. Like, it is an awesome control finisher to the point where your control decks are built more around enabling that card and maximizing it mm-hmm. than you otherwise thought. And is a very very strong top end card in mid range decks. I just want to I just want to like attack somebody with it and then just like sinks revelation for like seven and just kill them. Yeah, you just want to overkill them. You really yeah. just don't need anything other than this card. Like it, it any sort of any mid range battle. Like it, once the mid range deck tries to side into like their anti control plans, like I've got these duresses and these planeswalkers, and you just slam this card on turn six, the game's over. So yeah. they can't do anything. It's done. They can't attack. They can't race you because you're gaining a bunch of life. They can't outcrime you because you're drawing a bunch of cards, and they can't kill it because it has hexproof. And they don't have you know the sweepers that they need. Uh, and even in like in standard, like every deck that's playing it is even insulated against edicts. Like uh, you know the they either have Hero of Precinct One and they're making tokens, or they have um, Birth of Melitis, which just makes a random O four. It just sits there on the battlefield the entire game and protects you. From I wouldn't be surprised if there's a Bant version of like a Boreal Grazer and stuff that it's eventually good <laughs> sure. and it keeps it alive. Yeah, yeah. The, the card is really, really strong. It's a nice uh, option here. Like, I, I think the idea is against mid range decks. They mid range deck always sideboard well against control, right? They always get like you know disdainful strokes and uh, or like discard spells depending upon their colors and better threats and they cut all their removal and it you know in two, in twenty twenty. Mid-range decks tend to beat up on control after sideboarding, and Dream Trawler is a really nice haymaker in those matchups that still fits well into your main game plan uh, and you know, only takes up a couple sideboard slots but really improves those matchups. Yeah, and I mean, so it's pretty cool. We're going to go through a few more of the deck list, but like, I like that every deck on here is either new or has like something new, like something different, and we're seeing that in the second place list, a deck that had kind of fallen off, and it's, and it's your baby. I know that I know you like this deck a lot, but we see blue, red, and soul in second place. What's what's up with this? Yeah, um, you know, but I think what happened is we had this meta game with Azorius Control, Chonky Red, Mono Black Aggro, and it was a meta game that's pretty hostile to more linear aggressive decks. Right, the Mono Black deck is aggressive, but has a lot of removal and can play a longer game because of all its recursive threats. And Castle Locked Wing. The red deck is a mid-range deck that just has a lot of good cheap removal. Wild Slash, Stomp, Lightning Strike. Really tough for aggressive decks to get an edge against them. And then they have things like Goblin Chain Whirl if you try to go wide. They have, you know, Glorybringer if you try to go tall. That's really good in mid-range fights. They have Chandra, Torch of Divine, Singing Card Advantage. Just really tough to play that small ball game against them. you got to go big, which is what people are doing with the Niv-Mizzet decks. And so the Niv-Mizzet decks have... Uh, which we'll get to in a second, are what has arisen in response to that metagame, right? They were able to go way over the top of what the um, red decks and mono black decks are doing, and those red and black decks suppressed control a little bit, which helped the Niv-Mizzet decks weasel their way into the metagame. Now, trying to find an aggro deck that can compete in that metagame gets a little tough. It's a little easier when the Niv-Mizzet decks arise because they can stumble a bit, they don't have as much early interaction... Uh, so that was the first step, getting that, you know, uh, well-positioned deck that you can now prey on, moving to that next stage in, in the metagame's development. But, like, how do you beat up on these red decks and black decks? And when you think about it, like, this deck is pretty good at that, particularly the chunky red deck, right? 
their removal is it's good at answering you know ginger brew Beaumont curry or whatever um so it can be hard sometimes to land your and soul effects but if you do they're awesome it's really hard for this deck to answer a five five and you always have the out of just putting in a dark steel citadel and they don't have a, any really any answer to that even the model black deck too um so having you know a synergy driven aggressive deck that actually has sort of a combo that goes over the top, even though it's in an aggressive fashion, you're still going over the top in that sense, is the way to do it. And it's, you know, when you talk about synergy-driven aggressive decks in Pioneer, Isidon Soul is sort of the top of the heap. Even losing Smuggler's Copter, Royal Scions has shown up, and Marie Lurker of the Lock has shown up in these lists as replacements to give you a little bit more oomph into the late game. We see four copies of Wild Slash in this deck. That's a clear concession to the fact that the metagame has a lot of Goblin Rabble Masters and a lot of these cheap black creatures and, and mana creatures in the green decks. Um, so clearly a metagamed list of this deck. And I think Isidon Soul is at the point where it can arise in certain metagames when it's well-positioned, but isn't quite powerful enough to be a sustained member of the top tiers of Pioneer. Okay. And this last weekend, and over the last you know week or two leading up to Theros Beyond Death, it's been in a pretty reasonable position. People are ignoring it. There's a lot of, you know, not as many disenchant effects around, right. which is helpful. Uh, so a lot of little things going in its favor here. So I'm actually a big, big fan of the fact that it gets to play four Stone Coil Serpent and then make them big because against the Niv Mizzet deck, that thing's just immortal and can't be blocked. <laughs> so if you make it like a 3 3 or a 2 2 and, you, and then you insole it or, you know, whatever, you just make it like a 7 7, they're just dead. Like, they're not going to be able to keep up. Like, they can, like, sort of wrath it. I, uh, rat, they have some wraths, and that's about it. But they, they can't be the second one, usually. I see Infernal Reckonings in this deck sideboard, which is kind of interesting. Maybe they really struggle in that matchup, and they want something very specific. But both of the... There are two Nivnus decks in the top four, third and fourth place, and they both have two Infernal Reckonings on the sideboard. Yeah, I think but, that has to do with, like, a good bit, right? Like, you're yeah. starting to see... Uh, you know, we'll get to this more. You're starting to see a couple um, vehicles come back into the format. The Mono Green deck has colorless creatures in it. It kills Mutavault, which is a card that can have a, you can have a problem with. Yeah. I think in the matchups where it's good, it really shines, and the life gain is very relevant. Like, you're just trying to stabilize into turn five. Yeah, no, I agree. But that's still only two answers, you know? Like, they have two cards on their sideboard that answer this combo that is really strong against them. They, like, uh, you know, they, have, like, they really don't have an answer to it if you insole it. They have one cut to ribbons in their main deck that can answer it normally, but uh, you know, maybe they can abrupt decay the insole or the... Um, yeah, Supreme Verdict. They can block with, like, Sylvan Karyatid, but, I mean, like, whatever. The thing is you know, Trample. Yeah. yeah, the thing is Trample, as I'm saying. Like, you, you're not in a good spot, yeah. you know? And Stone, Stone Coil of Serpent is a card that I was impressed with when I was playing the deck, you know, a month or two ago. Uh, I think it's just an it's just a pretty reasonably powerful card because it scales well into the late game, has a lot of text on it. Uh, it's gotten a little bit worse as the metagame has gotten a lot, very monocolor heavy, but obviously with the Niv Mizzet deck rising up, that that's a that, that's a really important point for this deck, you know, because it, you what happens when you play this deck, and in my experience, is like. If you get a second hit in with your insold creature, it's you over. win. Yeah, yeah. You, and getting the first hit is pretty easy. Like they, they have to tap out at some point usually, uh, like or they just fall behind your little things and then they're forced to tap out at some point later. So like you know at some point they have to tap out and you'll get your one hit in. But if they untap and kill your thing and you don't have a follow up, which is hard to do, you don't have a lot of card selection, especially now without Smuggler's Copter. Uh, you know you're just not powerful enough to to close out the game. But now. Uh, you know, 
it's a little bit easier to get that second hit in because the red, like if the red deck has to tap out and you make a five, five, they don't really have an answer to it. If you, know, you get to put your and soul effect on a stone color serpent, Niv Mizza deck doesn't really have an answer to it. The mono black deck is sort of the exception here. I don't think that matchup's going to be very good. Okay. But if that's your one bad matchup, uh, and I think this deck is pretty reasonable against control actually. And now you even have like main deck, the copies of the Royal Scions, uh, things like that to help there. Um, and sideboard counter spells, then yeah, I, I can see this deck. It, it, it's there. It's not, you know, competing on power level, but it matches up well. And as long as people aren't respecting it, it should be quite good. No, I definitely agree. Um, I think this is a deck that it seems to have preyed on a good a good moment in the metagame, right? But this deck could stay around. I think this is a deck that you know, if you already had this deck or you already bought into earlier, you know, like what late last year, it was the best deck. I'm trying to think of what point in time it was like late last year. Was it when it was really good? Before, before the Invitational, so like early November. Before Small Recopter Ban. Yeah, um, and before Mono Black got big, right. that was the big thing that hurt it. I yeah. think right before Mono Black really caught on is when this deck was at its peak, and it was quite good then because it was good against the green decks. Um, although they started incorporating a lot of Reclamation Sages and other disenchant yeah. effects that, that hurt you. But th- yeah, that time period only, you know, sort of right after that first wave of bans, when the, when the green decks were hampered a little bit, so people were trying other things, and the combo decks, the, the Felidar Guardian decks were gone, that's when, the, uh, and, and you still had some right, right. is when it, this deck was good, and it settled back in. I think there's a good chance this sticks around because, like you said, not a lot of people are packing naturalize in their sideboard. You know, cards that are really hard for this deck to beat. Not so. a lot can. You know, green green was probably the most played color in the entire format for the first two months of his existence. Oh, that's not yeah. a question. I think it was. And now it's one of the least played colors because mono black and mono red are near the top. His earth control is near the top. That's the other four colors. We got a lot of people talking about Heliod Ballista. Well, we'll get into that later. So yeah. that helps white. Like, meh. I'm off like, that. How, how how many green decks are are in this top eight? It's it's. Well, we're about to get the one, Ross. You were talking about the other four colors. How about all five? But it, it, it's the combo deck and the five-color deck. So, yeah. like, yeah. Those, that's where you're seeing green. Speaking of the five-color deck, it took third and fourth, and you're looking at a deck that is built around Niv-Mizzet Reborn and cool things to do with that and, uh, what's it called? Bring the Light. Like, this is the, the Niv-Mizzet Bring the Light deck. Uh, it did get a little bit of a, a cool new card. It's got Oro and Titan of Nature's Wrath in it. I'm not sold on this just yet, but we'll see. But uh, this deck, we you know, we... We talked about it last week. It's like the flash in the pan. It was like it's coming out party. I was like waiting to see if it's you know legit. And apparently it is. There's a lot of people championing this deck, saying it's really good. And I know the reason you like it is is if if people are playing these mid range decks, like the mono black deck is kind of an aggro deck, but kind of a mid range deck, and then chunky red is like a mid range deck. This is where you want to be. Oh yeah, Th- this deck goes over the top, and it does it you know in a reasonable time frame where it's not getting super run over by aggressive decks though it can you know it can stumble the mana is far from perfect uh i know uh, arlax actually wrote his article on uh scg this week about the deck and one of the things that he championed was trying to play more of the cons trilands and you actually see those in these lists the third place list is a frontier bivouac has a nomad outpost has a sandstep citadel the fourth place list two sandstep citadel two opulent palace so you know seven trilands among these decks I agree with Ari that those lands are really underrated. Um, I think people look more towards, you know, shock lands, temples. They have a little bit more pedigree. But when these tri-lands were in standard, they were a really important part of decks' mana bases, particularly the Absent decks. I, I played Absent Aggro for quite a bit. 
the games where you started on Sandstep Citadel were easy mode. And the games where you didn't, it, it was really hard to get your mana base to cooperate uh, with some exceptions. So I think adding those to the mana base really does help. They obviously get Sylvan Carry added and Paradise Druid, which are great. And then from there, like, the thing that gets me about these decks is, like, whenever I play against them, I just, like, I just look at them like, I have no idea what you can have. Yeah. Maybe I need to study them more, but it feels like basically any card they can just have, and, like, I can't be that surprised. Like, oh, you just cast, you know, Tulsimir, Friend of Wolves? Sure. Now you utter-ended my thing? Yeah. End of turn, Sorok Dragonclaw? Sure. Yeah, that just what, makes like, sense. Yeah, yeah, it just fits in. Yeah, and- you could cast that. It- the decks do have four to Fairy Time Raveler, which is like, you know, concession to like the control matchup and stuff. I don't think this card is ever here to really bounce any problematic sorcery or creature. It's there to make sure that Bring the Light and Niv Mizzet resolve. And that's the big thing. You know, when you look at off the top of his list, that is one thing that does worry me about his list is if you resolve it to Fairy against that deck, it is in like, I think it's in play. That is, it is not getting removed like ever. But one thing about his list is that it's better at keeping those cards off the battlefield. And that's right. sort of the trade-off you make. Like, he, he's got four two-mana counter spells with three sensor and a syncopate, got four sinister sabotage. So I think he actually built his list with this Niv-Mizzet deck more in mind. He right. wants to combat these really heavy mid-range decks and doesn't want to play that game against them where you're trading haymakers ever. He just wants to counter your stuff because you're playing, you know, you're playing mana creatures that he can ignore and then five mana sorceries that he can counter for three mana. And historically, control beats up on decks that try to do that um and you know being a five color deck that's all interested in multicolored cards you don't see a million copies of duress in these decks sideboard you see some thought erasures and, you know you don't see a ton of reactive cards here i, I don't see any dovin's vetoes in these deck sideboards i see a couple of mystical disputes that'll help but not a ton of anti-control cards here these niv decks have really come up to beat up on mono black and mono red i think they're a little weak to control i think that might be one of the reasons that wafatapa did quite well in the tournament so we're, we're kind of coming back to the time where control was really good, which is December. Uh, but these Nimbusid decks are certainly here to stay. You know, you, you can't ignore them anymore if, you, if you've been trying to do that. We see Euro incorporated into both of them. I know you're skeptical of this card. I think it's been an underperformer overall. This is not something that you just slam into any deck that can, you know, play Simic colors and maybe wants to accelerate a little bit. Specifically in this deck, it is a piece of acceleration that gets you straight from three to five where your high impact cards cost five mana you're already playing a high land count because you're a five color deck with a high curve so you're very likely to be able to explore maybe even multiple times if it gets onto the battlefield and you're an attrition based mid-range deck with a lot of interactive instance of sorceries and four copies of fable passage so you should be able to fill the graveyard and escape it and that's actually been the big issue for me with euro is that in ramp decks it's hard to get five cards in your graveyard to actually cast this card. It never happens. No one's ever done it. But just... in this deck, in this deck, it, it should happen, right? You're get you're gonna get cards in your graveyard playing this deck. So because of that, I think it works specifically in this shell, and it's still not a huge part. I see two copies in one list, three in another. Um, so that you know, it's it's far from this huge uh, aspect of the deck. It's another good Simic card, you know, to hit off of Nimbusit. I know the push now is to sort of like pull back on how many different guilds you represent because like you know it doesn't matter if you get three cards off of Nimbusit or seven like that's three is good enough so just focus on having you know better individual cards so when you draw them naturally they actually do something but euro is like you know it's a fine card it buys you some time the life gain is nice um 
So uh, I'm, I'm in for this card in this deck, even though I very much agree that it isn't one of the major underperforms of the set thus far. The, the only thing I'm going to say about the deck before I move on is I keep wanting to fit Hero Precinct 1 somewhere in this <laughs> list. It feels like it just should belong and should just fit in here. Like, uh, maybe it's a sideboard plan against, like, the blue-white control decks when, like, you want to stress their Supreme Verdicts because otherwise they just get to wait. And you, like, cut your mana creatures because yeah, they're not yeah, very good those those matchups. Cards, you, you don't need those cards in that matchup, man. Like, they suck. They just get swept up by Supreme Verdict, which is good against you anyway because, like, you're trying to resolve these, like, four and five mana creatures. You know, so like, I don't know. And it just, it, the thing is like against you, they're going to bring in a couple more counter spells because they're trying to snag Bring Delight. You know, like Dovin's Veto is still good against your deck, you know, cards like that, even though all you have to do is worry about the, the fairy or whatever. But like, if you have, it's kind of like my theory, like I used to love Young Pyromancer uh, in Legacy a lot because like I found the easiest way to beat Miracles was like I made them use one of their sweepers to kill just Young Pyromancer and all of his tokens. And then I would just like, drop a big threat you know i'd be like all right here's a gurmag angler plus something else you know and so like when you have one card representing a, a large threat like that you can kind of pace the game the way you want to that way i don't know yeah. maybe it's, it's that, not that's a cool fiddable, but... juke. Uh, yeah. i think that's interesting i i think that's that's worth exploring to be honest because i agree with you that like that idea where you stress their sweepers makes a lot of sense um Though you you have enough creatures that generate value right that like i think you're pretty good against sweepers where yeah. you're really weak is the counterspell part of their decks. Uh, but Hero even even helps there, right? When you have the cheap threats that you can land underneath their counter wall, then you force them to tap out, and then you can slam your niv it. You can slam your Euro and draw an extra card and force them to deal with that. You yeah. can slam your Teferi, and then their counterspells are turned off. So, uh, you know, the, the cheap threats work on multiple axes to really tax their control plan against you. Uh, and Hero is definitely a good one there. Yeah, because, like, you know me, uh, you've you've played al alongside me enough and stuff. I like decks that have, like, some form of, like, I like ramp decks, you know, like mid-range decks. I'm a big fan of Sylvan Carrington. You know, I was one of the first people to play the Green-Red Devotion deck when it first came out. It's my first ever top eight on an SCG event. And one thing I hated was playing against control decks, and I did not have enough cards to board in to board out, like, all of my mana creatures. Like, I would leave land where elves in. At least it's all power. Yeah, that, yeah, it was Mox Emerald. You, you yeah. had to leave that one. Yeah, but your but carry addeds, your Radical Mystics, or whatever. Those just that sucked. Yeah, yeah like, just get them out of your deck. Yeah, and stuff. So, But, you know, if we move on to the next one, um, big fan of the next two decks because they are decks that are established, but we've got some changes. Like, the, the kind of the theme of today's show when you look at this top eight, either the deck's new or you're seeing the format really start to adjust to itself. So, in seventh place, we have what is chunky red but with a big difference it's got a splash in it you know we're looking at dragon skull summit forbidden runs and blood crypt in here because we have cut to ribbons we have uh what's it called uh what's the creature called uh scrappy, scrappy scrounger and we have some black cards in the sideboard so scrappy scrounger is a big addition to this deck because prior you you had like one two drop and it was karizev and you had like a couple of them you know what i mean like you didn't yeah, really like two you, you know, when you would start out with uh, Soul Star Mage on one and like Karizam on two, if they had like any removal spell, you kind of like didn't really do much. You know what I mean? But now you have like a little more power. You can you can play that aggro role a little better, like in the matchups where you really need to, like the blue white control matchup, because Scrappy Scrounger is a nightmare for that matchup. You know, it's going to attack like seven times over the span of a game because it just doesn't die. You know, it keeps coming back. It's pretty cool, stuff like that. And you're seeing changes like Rekindling Phoenix's main now. You know, you have four of them along with Heart of Kirin in the deck now, and there's a Cut Ribbons, you know, another black card. So you're seeing a little bit of a change in this deck. 
Uh, you still got the Mutavolts in here and stuff like that. So it's got that chunky red stuff. You're not seeing like Torburn anymore. Not seeing Karizev. So you're seeing more impactful cards. I've got to I've got to say that originally I think this deck came into being to beat the Mirror, and then it just kind of stuck around because like oh it's just a more resilient, better version of the other deck. Yeah, we we talked about you know the Nimbus decks rising up to out mid range. What was a fairly mid rangey format. And then we have the Azorius control decks that, you know, have to react to mid-range. That's all, you know, a slowing down of the format. And what you see with this Chonky Rakdos as opposed to Chonky Red is the red deck reacting to that and saying, okay, if y'all are going to slow down and I don't need to be as aggressive. So, you know, Torbrand is the kind of card that gets people dead. And those synergies, even with Karizev, with Goblin Rabblemaster, you know, they got people dead. There's not a lot of those matchups. We're not seeing a lot of the ramp deck. It's still around, but we're not seeing a lot of it. Uh, you know, maybe the Underworld Bridge deck changes things because that's a deck that where you need to get people dead. Those Splashing Black may give you access to discard spells and Graveyard Hate, which helps in that matchup. So there's a trade-off. But, you know, Scrap Heap Scrounger is a card that's great in those mid-range matchups. It keeps coming back, uh, you know, especially matchups where there's a lot of removal, like Niv-Mizzet or the Mirror. Rekindling Phoenix, great in those matchups. Way better than Torbrun would be. Um, so really gearing up for that kind of thing. You do sacrifice, you know, Ramanap Ruins. You sacrifice a couple Mutavolts. Jockey Red usually has four. Um, but Scrap Heap Scrounger helps, you know, give you that thing that you can use extra mana on late in the game. Instead of paying one and tapping a Mutavolt to attack for two, you pay two mana, you get your three-two back. Um, so you're not losing a ton in terms of sinking your mana into beyond the Ramanap Ruins. We got to cut ribbons to help mitigate that. I think that's a great one of in this deck. You, you know, you have 12 black sources, so you're not going to be able to cast ribbons a ton. But when you do in the late game, when you probably have two black sources, For a lot. Yeah. yeah, it just it'll just steal games. And then look the the sideboard discard spells and graveyard hate I talked about, and then these three copies of epic downfall. That's like the re reaction, right? Everybody's playing these rekindling phoenixes. They got these big creatures, these uh, you know uh, siege, siege rhinos, niv yeah. mizzets that these red decks have a hard time killing. Epic Downfall is great against them. The ramp decks have moved to playing um, Cavalier of Thorn. You know, that's, these are hard creatures for the red deck to kill. And then we saw in second place the Is It and Soul deck. Now you can you can exile Dark Citadel now. So Epic Downfall is a great removal spell for this deck. Well, you can't exile Dark Soul Citadel. It's a creature with a converted mana cost. Oh, it's converted mana cost. I thought it was yeah. power. Okay, CMC. So you can't hit Citadel. Yeah, so you it's actually really stuff. bad against. Okay, it's bad against Is It and Soul, right. but. Um, it's good against basically all the other things. So it fill it, it fills a pretty significant gap where this deck's, uh, you know, where the other removal spells that it plays are. And that's huge. When you're sideboarding removal, it needs to fill that gap. And I love that you brought up the sideboard because this is actually my favorite part of this deck. I love Epic Downfall where it is in the format because of the stuff that you mentioned. It's just a really good removal spell. Yes, it's a sorcery, but it fills a very specific role and does it very well. Um, I think adding the black just helped out a lot here because, yeah, you get, you know, two thought seasons in the sideboard. That's not a lot, but like you said, it might be just enough against like the combo decks or against blue eye control that the turn where you're like, thought sees you, make sure my rekindling phoenix resolves. Because once this is in play, this is a lot harder for you to deal with than you just counterspell it on the way down. That's big. You get to play Leyline of the Void. See, the reason Junkie Red kind of saw like a little bit of decline and the reason you got second as a challenge is because you played to get a deck that was good against Chunky Red where... Yeah, they'd have, like, uh, what's it called? Tormod's Crypt, but that was never good enough to beat you. Remember, when I talked about the deck, I talked about it weeks before, and I was like, I hate the Tormod's Crypts because they're never enough. Like, you would draw one, you would use it, and it just wouldn't have enough of impact. If you Leyline of the Void them, 
that's enough. And here's the thing. You can weather the storm long enough early in the game, kill a few other things, and still cast it late in the game and have a chance. You know what I mean? So, like, yeah. you can still do a little bit there. And I got to say this. A red card in the sideboard that impressed me that I was going to say, it's time to start playing this card in your sideboard if you're playing the red deck, Chandra's Defeat. Not only are there Chandra Planeswalkers to hit in this format, which is great, but here's the thing. When people are playing decks that have, what, 16 to 20 red creatures in them, just Chandra's Defeat them. Because here's the thing, you do need to kill Soulscar Mage, but you also need to kill, like, Glorybringer. And you can do it before it attacks. And for one mana, you can do this at any point in time in the game. That is huge. So the, the time has come for Chandra's Defeat. In fact, I joked with Ross. I sent him a message on Facebook, like, two weeks ago when Chonky Red was getting really good. I was like, can we splash black in this deck and just play Chandra's Defeat and, uh, what is it, Dark Betrayal? And Dark Betrayal on our cyborg. Because at that time, those were, like, the two big decks. It was Mono Red and Mono Black. Yeah. And I was like, screw it. I just want four one mana kill all of your stuff. Sure. Like, I, I don't want to mess around. And that, that is a true story. Tannen did do that. I, I actually think we might be nearing the point where Chandra's Defeat is getting worse. Because I think the red decks are getting really heavily targeted. Yeah. So you might even be at the point where like three might be too many. It still seems like it's a pretty popular deck. You see a lot of it in leagues. So I think in paper uh, it's a really good choice right now. Yeah, and paper is going to lag behind. So if you're playing a paper event, yeah, I, I would look towards three Chandra's Defeat in this deck sideboard. Be prepared for the mirror. It's definitely still around. But uh, I want to go back to your point uh, about the um, Soltai Dredge deck and its matchup against Chonky Red, which is one of the reasons I played it in the Classic. And it, uh, beyond like the you know ineffectiveness of graveyard hate, one of the reasons or the major reason that Soltai Dredge is good in the matchup is that they blanked the red deck's removal. Chonky Red, you know, with only two Karizev, just didn't have a lot of good proactive plays on the first two turns of the game, and was relying on its removal to blank what his opponent did on those turns. It was relying on Lightning Strike, Wild Slash, and Stomp. Soltai Dredge was great at making sure that those cards were ineffective. It is yeah. great at that. And that, you know, that was a major dynamic that the red deck didn't really have a good way of fixing beyond mising an early Tormod script. Now, you not only have a better way to do that early, but you just also have more proactive plays yourself. You've got your Scrappy Scroungers. you got your Heart of Kieran's, which actually play pretty good defense, uh, you know, blocking all, all the things out of the, the Sultai deck so that you can just take over with your more powerful cards, your Chain Whirlers, your Glory Bringers, and your Rekindling Phoenixes, which also play just really well onto the battlefield. Uh, because you really need to control the battlefield in matchups like that and in matchups like Mono Black. So uh, I, this is really a, a, it's an evolution of the deck that acknowledges that the metagame does not require it to be as aggressive. It's still a mid-range deck, but now it's a little bit more of a controlling mid-range deck instead of an aggressive mid-range deck. And I think that's a very good adjustment. You know, I'm rethinking about this phone call that I made to you when I told you about the, the red deck splashing black. And I was like, I want to play all these cards. Ever. And I remember the other thing I said, because this is when um, you and I still thought we might be teaming up at one of the, at the team events. And I told you, I was like, we could do that. Or I legit think that blue-white might be in a spot where it might be insane. Because if people are playing this chunky red deck and they're going to play the Sultai deck to beat it, you can just play a blue-white deck with a lot of rest in peace. And then like you're good Set against the, the mid-range piles. What's that? And settle the wreckage. And settle the wreckage and like just crush all these people. And I'm just so smart, Ross. Anyway, we're going to go past that before I, before I go too far down okay. that rabbit hole. Let's not talk like Azorius Control was like yeah, an obvious yeah, awesome choice for this weekend. It was Wafatapa. Yeah, the man is great. So you, you always have to keep that in mind. Let me let me have my moment, okay? Just, 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 just don't. Just let me have... Anyway, so 
in eighth place, we had mono black. So, you know, that deck representing itself well in the challenge yet again. Um, this deck's just here to stay. This is like the deck that's just going to be from the beginning of the format till whenever. The thing I wanted to talk about with this one, this one seems just pretty damn stock through the whole thing. You know, not a lot of different Did, stuff. Took it to the very end there. When you get to the very, very end there, there's a, there's a four of them in the sideboard called Self-Inflicted Wound. Now, this is a sorcery for one in a black. For people who have, you know, this is a, a card they might not know. One in a black. Target opponent sacrifices a green or white creature. If that player does, he or she loses two life. Um, this card seems absurd against the Niv-Mizzet decks. It is very good. Because stopping their Sylvan Caryatids and their Paradise Druids is great. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you draw too many of them, and you see four copies here, like you can also tag a Niv-Mizzet or a Siege Rhino. I'm going to tell you this as well. It also came, kills uh, Dream Drawler. Yeah. If you, if I mean, it's kind of rough if you have to bring this card in against them, but it's better than having nothing. Well, right? if, like, you might not know game two if they have it or not. Yeah. You know, like people didn't know that Waffletop had three of them, but if you if you die to this card in game two, you have to assume there's more than one. It's like the Bane Slayer thing when they would just bring in like three Bane Slayers back in the day. You know, yeah. And, and, you have, and when you play this matchup with Mono Black against Control with all these Bloodsoak Champions and Dread Wanderers and Scrappy Scroungers and Mute Vaults and Castle Lock Dwayne's, like you're looking to play a longer game. You mm-hmm. also have eight discard spells, like. You don't mind winning against control decks on turn 10 with your aggro deck yeah. when it's configured this way. And if you're trying to do that, you need to answer their haymaker threats. Yeah. Not to mention you have, like, Wrinkle in your deck, which is a good card against them. I and mean, you could just discard it to Wrinkle at some point in time if, like, that's not what the game's going to be about yeah. at this point anymore. That's a good thing to have, to be able to turn a card that could be dead into something useful. Uh, and, you know, it's not going to happen all the time, but it's nice to have that option. That's something I always look at whenever I have a card. And I'm like, man, I want to I bring this in in this matchup. Or I want to have this card. But is it... Is it just dead at all points in times where it's not absurd? You yeah, know, it's it's one of the advantages of having cards like I don't know, like Jace Vrin's Prodigy kind of looting effects is that you're able to put just like very narrowly powerful cards in your sideboard and say I'm not going to get punished by having you know me draw it when it's not good, but I am going to get rewarded by drawing it pretty frequently when it is. It's like the brainstorm faithless looting thing, like. You know, I used to talk about it in, in Legacy. Every time when I play Delver, I have these, like, one-ofs in my sideboard. I'm like, well, we're going to find it because we have Brainstorm and Ponder and all this. And you see it, like, half your deck. But then if you have it and you don't need it, you can Brainstorm it away. So it's like this this loop, this self-fulfilling loop. I, I literally said Jace Fern's Prodigy, and I was trying to think of Faithless Looting. Yeah. And I was like, I know I did this in Is It Phoenix all the time. What was the card that made that possible? <laughs> the banned just, one. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. I just couldn't come up with fucking Faithless Looting. It's okay, Ross. That's what I'm here for. Legacy too. Yeah, uh, yeah. Those are the canonical examples, uh, but you know, Jason from Prodigy is, is similar. No, absolutely. And uh, I'm, again, I'm still a big fan of the mono black deck. I'm still a fan of the red deck. I do think possibly you should be playing black in it. If blue white starts getting really popular in your area, maybe you want to go up to like four Thoughtseize, or just because I think Thoughtseize is better than Duress. Your life totems never matters. Plus, you might want to take Dream Trawler if like you, you randomly just see it in their hand. You're like, oh shit, I have no way to kill like you know deal with this thing or no plan in this spot. So um, I, I think I think that this is one of the better challenge top eights I've seen in A, diversity, and then B, all the decks knew what they wanted to do. You can see what they were targeting and how they had made uh, adjustments to what had been going on. Yeah, and I think it paints a very clear picture of where the Pioneer metagame is right now. And it's pretty slow. It's pretty mid-rangey. Uh, and we're getting a little bit into that arms race. And it's because those decks have really good early disruption, so the aggro decks aren't consistently getting beneath them unless they're doing something powerful themselves, which is what the, you know, uh, is it and um, Soul deck is doing, or they're sort of ignoring the arms race, and that's what the Underworld Breach deck is doing. 
Now, I really do think that Underworld Breach, if well-tuned, could sort of blow up this dynamic that's happening. Um, and we might see that, you know, at the player store or even at the team constructed opens that are coming up. That's the thing that I'm most, you know, keeping my eye on. Like, is somebody going to blow this whole thing wide open? Or are we going to get to that arms race and it's going to keep pushing, you know, up and up where the decks are getting bigger and bigger and more powerful to the point where the aggro decks can now successfully get underneath them. And you got to be watching for that when that point is, because it's a pretty brief window when the aggro decks get to take advantage, if that window does open, or you've got to be looking to just break it open playing a busted combo deck. And, you know, the, the Underworld Breach deck is definitely the one I would go for, but you even see Jeskai Ascendancy in the top 16. Haven't seen that deck really for quite a while. And I think we're seeing it now, you know, specifically because the metagame is a lot of creatures and removal spells. A Less lot thought of, seizes. Yeah, a lot of dirtily card advantage. Um, and then they just don't really have the same level of disruption for combo decks that they might have had a month ago. Right, absolutely. Uh, I think this is a good uh, jumping off point for our show's getting pretty long today. And we you know we talked good about the top eight. There's some other really cool decks. If you want to check out the uh, challenge results, we'll have the link for you um, in the show notes like we usually do. So you can check out some of the stuff there. I wanted to make sure we got our mailbag question in this week because I really like it. I think it's a really cool one. Uh, this is from Finley, Friendly Fire 21. What's a card you would put into slander, standard? Wow, I cannot speak. Uh, what's a card you would put into standard slash pioneer that you'd love to play but wouldn't be backbreaking? For example, I think Knight of the Reliquary would be great. I also think Knight of the Reliquary would be great. I I do think that um, I'd be a little worried, but there are no like l- super land combos in the set. You know, you're not making twenty twenties off of off of. Uh, you know, Dark Depths or anything in here, so I do think Knight of the Reliquary is a card that, yeah, it could be fine. There's not a ton of fetch lands, you know, so getting value off it would be pretty cool. It might make white a little more playable. Maybe there'd be a green-white deck if we do that. So, like, I think this is a really good answer from Friendly Fire, that that this card is really good. Ross, you seem really antsy to answer. Is there... Uh, I'm actually not. I just kind of agree. I, I love Knight of the Reliquary. You know, yeah, it's just a good card. Everybody knows me as the Elves guy, but my first, you know, deck in Legacy that I played for a long time was Maverick. Um, I just threw up my mouth a little bit. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I busted up some Teamer Delver players you in my day. You didn't play me. Oh, let's go. All right. I'm probably going to get worked, but I'm going to match up. It sort of it depends a little on how you're built. Like, there were cards that you could... If you wanted to beat the Maverick player from the Teamer side, you could. Um, most people just had, like, Force Emerges and called it a day, but the real Haymaker cards were Rough Tumble, and the big one was Curse <sighs> Totem. You kind of... you kind of Yeah, I remember Curse Totem. You kind of got me here. Uh, I was going to say, this is... That matchup was one of the f- only times in my life, I've, I think I've done it twice, where I purposely didn't reveal a card to Delver of Secrets, like when I had a Incinor Sorcery, because it was Rough Tumble, and I knew their hand because of Probe, and I wanted them to play out, like, you know, another creature from their hand, yeah, or whatever, yeah. and so, like, I just got, so, like, I, I made sure that I put it on top of my hand, it was like, go, and they, like, tapped out for something, and I just turned over the top card of my hand, I was like, this was the card I drew, and, like, showed the, the rough double. Yeah, I lose my Delver of Seekers, but I wanted them to play in it or whatever, and you still get the chance of, like, you know, flipping, you know, or kind of yeah, brainstormed or whatever. That, that card definitely got me sometimes from positions where I'm like, yeah, I'm 98% to win. And it's like, the 2% is they have rough tumble, yeah, because not a lot of people had it at the time. Yeah. But the uh, the thing that got me was, once they printed Cavern Souls, like, it, the Maverick deck just had draws that, like, just buried you. Oh yeah, Cavern of Souls was a a, a a punch in the gut in that matchup. I, if, I, if you just went Cavern uh, Mother Runes into turn two Thalia, yeah. like it was like you just had no points of interaction. 
yeah, <laughs> it was it was over. No, for sure. Um, so it's really funny that we had that discussion because I, I think my initial answer to this, and to the surprise of no one, would be Delver of Secrets. I think this is a card that um, I'm not sure about standard. I, I'd have to really look in that, but I do think this is a card that could be cool in Pioneer because we don't have a real like tempo aggro deck. You know what I mean? There's Isn't no Phoenix. Is a Phoenix is a little tempo -y. Yeah, but the thing is, like that deck's not very good, and. Would would that deck be better if you could go like Delver on one and then play the rest of the deck? You know, no, no, it wouldn't. I think Delver of Secrets would be laughably unplayable in Pioneer. See, here's the thing, Ross. I would spend a lot of time and lose a lot of tickets trying to figure out if that's true or not. Like, it, it's not good in Modern because there's a lot of good cheap Yet. removal and there isn't the good disruption to support it. Yeah, Force of, Force of Negation was one step in the right direction. If you got one other, if you got a you know a good days. Uh, you know, facsimile. M maybe there's something there, um, but they're like, never going to give us that. By the way, well, never say never. I don't know what they're doing at this point, uh, but th there's that. Like, you need that really good cheap backup for it because it's just a fragile, you know, one mana card. And when you play these tempo decks, you're very threat light. And when they they're able to just you know fatal push your threat, uh, you know, you just dirtle and do nothing for a while, and then their powerful cards take over. Mm -hmm. Pioneer so, not only is a format that has a lot of removal and a format that doesn't have any of those like cheap protection cards, it's also a format that doesn't have the requisite number of cheap cantrips to even transform it reliably. Oh, no, no. I, I know you're right, Ross. In my heart of hearts, I know you're right. I don't want you to be, okay? I wildly unplayable. But so my actual answer for, for like things that could probably help the format or whatever would be um, a any playable white card other than Path to Exile because I don't want to give blue white control Path to Exile and just make it the best deck. Like yeah. off the top of my head, I'm thinking Thalia Garden of Thraven. Like that's a card that could be good, and I don't think it would break the the back of this format. It's still not good against a lot of the decks that are in the format, but it gives white another identity, right? Like yeah. you just start. That's a nice. That's a good answer. Yeah, that that's what that was my actual answer. I also fucking love that card, by the way. Yeah, I believe it or not, I actually like that card. I hate when I play against it, and I like when I play with it. I I also think it's one of the like fifteen best creatures ever printed. Okay, so funny thing, um, Grand Prix Orlando a million years ago. Um, that set, what set, what set is that? Is that just Dark regular Innistrad or Dark, Dark Ascension? Ascension? It was Dark Ascension. All right, so Dark Ascension has been previewed about half of it, right? And you can yeah. find this. You can Google this. Uh, this Grand Prix, it's Grand Prix Orlando. I got interviewed at that one, and they asked me, uh, like, what are the cards that you're, you're hyped about or whatever? And uh, one of my answers didn't make it in. I was like, I think Faithless Looting is broken or whatever, but we didn't, you know, or whatever. I think that might have even been the same. So I don't remember. But no, that, that it, was Faithless Looting. You're, you're right. Yeah, in it, I said that I think Dahlia of Garden of the Raven is like one of the better creatures I've ever seen printed. And I was like, I think it's going to have, I think my direct quote was, I think it's going to have implications across every format. And you're you're right. It's literally been in every format. Yeah, I was like, this card's absurd. It, like it was all that was also the first card I acquired from the set. Like pre-release weekend, I'm at my local store. I'm playing some sealed. I traded slash bought four copies of Thalia Guardian Three. Yeah, I think I still have my four from back in the day. It was like yeah. funny. I played uh I played humans in an open like a year and a half ago, and I remember I was like, does anyone have a humans deck that I can borrow? I need seventy one cards, and they're like, well, I was like, I have the Thalias or whatever, and I was like, you know, some of the random lands, obviously, or whatever. But I was like, I have none of this other junk or whatever. But um, you know, jokingly, I had some of it. But that would be my answer, I think, is Thalia Garden Thraven, and then possibly some other white card. Let's make this like, let's make this color playable. My, so my answer was along similar lines. I want some white card that makes it playable, and I think Thalia is a better answer than the one I have. I thought You're of welcome. I thought of Giver of Runes. Okay, I see that was like on my list. Is like if you give us Alia, do you just need to give us Giver of Runes? I, I don't think you need to because Alia is really good. 
Yeah. Um, and especially just like messes with the mana. Like they hold up stomp for your two drop. You play Thalia. They can't stomp you. Yeah. You know, that that pattern has been one of the reasons Thalia is really good. It just makes them play inefficiently. Um, but Giver of Runes also sort of does that. Like if they don't literally have the Wild Slash or the Fatal Push, they have to spend their two mana removal spell on that because they can't do it on anything else and you put them behind. So it's a similar kind of idea. It might help some, you know, some creatures get through. I don't really know like what creatures you're playing that, that need to get through, but I, I just think Giver of Runes is a, a good card. I wanted to see more play in Modern. Unfortunately, it generally just sees play in like creature combo decks where you're protecting your Devoted Druid. Like to protect uh, the Queen type of... Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Or like they split some lists of Infect, you know, play Bant for it and Teferi. Um, so it, it's been, you know... It, unfortunately, that's just the way Modern is, where like you need to be sort of non-interactive and Giver of Runes slots well into that role. But I think it's just a generally good creature in an aggressive deck. Like you could play Giver of Runes in your you know venerated Loxodon Benelish Marshall deck, right? It's a one mana one two with a mm-hmm. really strong ability. Like it would be a four of in that deck and maybe make like White Meanie a little bit better as an archetype in addition to these you know other decks because it's effective even in in slower archetypes. So. See, I like that you and I are both thinking along the same lines of not only make White better but give it an identity because like that's the biggest problem that it has in Pioneer is that the identity that it has is as a support cast. It either is the extra cards in the blue control deck or it's like part of it randomly has White symbols tacked onto creatures in an invisit deck or something you know what i mean yeah, like you need to have a siege rhino yeah exactly like, you need siege rhino yeah you need to cast toll's mirror <laughs> like come on <laughs> like and unfortunately like white's identity generally is like white beanie aggressive deck um and those decks just haven't been that good i do hope that you know maybe with another good one drop we could see some of these like vehicle decks get even a little better I know that that was a thing that I expected to be good in Pioneer when they announced the format. I was like, yeah, let's play Thurban Inspector and Toolcraft Exemplar. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, well, it was for a little while when you had Smuggler's Copter, but even then there were just better Copter decks. It was yeah. Mono Black and Is It in Soul. Um, and I thought, okay, maybe now with Copter Band, like this is going to be a better Heart of Kieran deck because it plays well with Scrap Heap and with Toolcraft Exemplar because that's what it was in Standard. And they still didn't really show up. I, you know, people have tried to play Just Guy Vehicles a little bit. I know Aspiring Spike has worked on it. Uh, Corey's played a little bit even. Um, and they just haven't really gotten there. Maybe, you know, with another good one drop, you, you become a little bit more consistent. You've got a way to protect your Heart of Kieran and your more, you know, prevalent threats. I don't know. Maybe you could help that. Maybe you would just go on the White Mini deck. But I think both those answers are pretty cool. I would love to see Thalia. I, I love Thalia. So uh, a couple other cards that I considered... Uh, damnation was a, was a consideration giving black another identity and you could make different color control decks like you don't have to play supreme yeah, verdict damnation um, is a that would help out the like a blue black control deck yeah. a lot because the, the 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 wrath quote-unquote effects it has are not good um galvanic blast was a card that i thought about a little bit and i was like wondering if it would make the, is it in soul deck too good because like <laughs> yeah, it would snap replace wild slash in that yeah, deck let me thing, tell you yeah because like i think that would actually be a little healthy for the deck if you gave it just a little more consistency of one other good card because the deck is a bunch of really bad cards you know and i was like maybe that card's too good god blast would be nice in that deck because yeah. I, I know like you know within soul effects and shrapnel blast you're dealing damage in fives but you also like you that, get to poke in for one quite a bit, and then the four completes the five. When I was thinking about it, that's what I was worried about. I was like, does it give the deck too much reach? If shrapnel blast, yeah. you have you have a galvanic blast, and then you have all these cheap creatures. It's like now they have the 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 burn sidestep. Where in that matchup, I always felt like if you could just keep your life total at six, 
you know, if you just don't <laughs> don't go to five or whatever, you know, that the matchup's doable, uh, it's tenable. That's uh so I, I actually thought about this question quite a bit and like had, you know, I was like trying to think, I was like, you know, there's some synergy stuff. I mean, I think I could do like an entire show on what, this. What question. else you got? What else you got? Um, I have it written down somewhere and I don't know where I put it. <laughs> wow. I worked a lot today, man. I probably Just... forgot a thing or two. You only have one answer and it kind of piggybacked on mine. So. Well, it only piggybacked on yours because you got to go first. Yeah, that's, that's why I go first, Ross. I'm very smart and handsome. I don't know why I said <laughs> handsome, but I'm very smart about these things. Well, you're not wrong. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so Kay Tannen, you're not wrong. Yeah, uh, I t- tell my wife that, but um, <laughs> the, the, the I'm not wrong part, and she thinks I'm handsome. But anyway, um, so yeah, I think some cards along those lines. I I do think that the answer though is is give white some other identity. You know, we've had <clears throat> all the other colors have their time. I would like the format to kind of shake out a little bit there. And I was trying to think a little more in the lines of like some synergistic thing that would make a whole prevalent of card playable you know what i mean like one more card for a certain this is an example i don't mean this specifically but like one more thing to help delirium or something you you get what i'm trying to say like one more enabler that makes a deck playable but not broken like would thought scour break this format yes i think it would would faith yeah. break the format? yes nope. i think it would you know can't give a thought scour can't do that yeah because i was thinking i was like is there a cantrip that's like fair that like that would be that would make phoenix good enough but i i don't think we can do that without breaking just the format. leave us with just opt yeah and nothing better than it and, you know like you could give uh, if you gave this format peak like would would cantrip heavy decks become too good um i'm not sure i think the combo decks would would do that i don't think you would play like i don't think you would play eight peaks and ops in your control decks i really don't yeah. Oh, you certainly wouldn't in control. Decks. I think the, the like, combo decks that it, like would, maybe like, would, would, is it Phoenix just get like too consistent? Maybe, but I think it would be really good if cards like uh, Jeskai Ascendancy and stuff like giving them yet another card like that might be a problem. But I'd, I, I mean, that deck just sucks anyway. So sorry for Jeskai Ascendancy fans out there. But anyway, um, is there a way for us to enable Wild Nacodle to have that be a real card without fetch lands? Like you I, could. Uh, I mean, you just have dual lands. Like, just play the dual lands. Yeah, but like it, it it's hard. like you need to make that card attacking as a three three a huge portion of the time. Yeah, but you have you have multiple like lands that are, you know, you have you know you don't just have Temple Garden. Like you have Temple you Garden need, plus you know whatever you, you, the. But you need two different kinds of dual lands. It's tough to do without fetch lands. No, I agree. But I mean, you have four Fabled Passage and then a bunch of you know. But uh, I, I think having a zoo kind of deck would be would be pretty cool. I think I, I think Bald Coddle is a good answer. I think I think that's actually a good answer. Like we haven't really seen too many green aggro decks, right? Yeah, I'm just not sure that would see. Well, we've seen like mono green aggro, right? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, and Oko, yeah, yeah, versions like the green. Blue. I'm just not sure that card would see play, but so, something akin to that card that would help out kind of zoo style decks. There's a chance we get stuff like this, by the way, next year. I, I think there's a very good chance we get something like Pioneer Masters or whatever you want to call it. Or could you give this format Tarmogoyf? Um, I think you could. I, yeah, I kind of think you could. Like, have you seen the price on Tarmogoyf recently? By the way, let me guess. Let me guess. Um, because I, I've sort of heard rumblings like, "Man, I can't, I can't believe Tarmogoyf is this low." Because it's been like over hundred dollars for most yeah. of my playing career. Uh, uh, I'm gonna guess forty dollars. It's like sub that. I've seen some for like thirty, thirty-five, depending on like condition and, and stuff like that. Which is, I mean, I've had my same four forever. Thanks, Morgan. But uh, yeah, yeah, so I'm like, seeing forty-three and change on Goldfish. Yeah, I remember when they were like when it was the easiest hundred dollar bill in Magic. Like that was just it was just Tarmac was a hundred bucks. They got up close to two hundred, I think, at their peak. Yeah, when like uh, I think Shadow with like that and some other deck that was really good. Before that, like I, I, 
they 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 got up there. Like they they haven't been below forty since like a month after it was printed. I remember uh, winning an eight. Or, I'm sorry, getting second in an eight man, and we redrafted all the rares. And I took Termagoy second because I was like, oh, this card might be good. I had no idea, but I was like, oh, this card might be good. Our, our pool was really bad. Like we didn't have yeah. any. You know, there's like one money rare. Oh, or whatever. I, I I bet nobody out there knows like this card. I think was pre-selling for like four bucks. Yeah, it was like under five. It was like pre-five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We also didn't know what two of the card it, it yeah. referenced: planeswalkers and tribal, tribal. And we had no idea what that meant. Yeah, and they were coming that fall in Lorwyn because this card was printed in a future site. And I, I remember, my, I like, uh, one of the you know weaker players in our play group, like saw that card during preview season. I was like, this card is messed up in Legacy. And like this is back when the the threshold decks were playing Werebear. Oh God, I remember like this. that. That was basically the trauma. They were playing Werebear. Can- Canadian Thresh. Yeah, that's that's what they called it. Uh, but there were other threshold. They're like, they're, the Canadian Thresh was like the teamer version. There were there was I think the most popular at that point was Bant, and it was playing like one Mystic Enforcer. Uh, oh, it God, was Mystic Enforcer. Be still yeah. my heart. This is a crazy day to be playing Legacy. People were still playing Standstill in their decks. Um, so, and he this guy. Goes to the local store as soon as he can, and he buys four foils. He loves foil cards. Like, all his eggs were foiled out. Um, And we're just like, yeah, whatever. Like, I don't know. It's just the card that he likes. Whoops. (laughs) Yeah. And I don't, I think he bought them. He maybe spent 30 for the set. Yeah. Did he end up reselling them and just buying normal ones or anything? He cashed out years later, like, uh, you know, after, uh, uh, I don't know, I had lost contact with him for a while, but I bet he sold them for just a comical profit. Yeah, some four-digit uh, number. Yeah, yeah, of percent, just absurd. Because that it, the card really did. It went from like five to like thirty in the course of a weekend, and then it, uh, we were. And then it just I went remember straight up. Yeah, yeah. All of us were just thinking like, oh, now it's at its peak. We'll wait a little bit. It'll go down. It never did. And then it literally just never went down. Ne- did did never. Anyway, <laughs> I think that's about good enough for us this week. We have a pretty long episode. Mini. Many tangents. <laughs> this was a great episode. I had a lot of fun with this one. I really did. Yeah. This is among, I know, we're up to, you know, 12, 13, 14 episodes, something in that range. And this might have been my favorite one to record. Yeah. It's definitely one of my more favorite ones. We uh, we have a lot of talking to do off, off air <laughs> as well. But if people wanted to hear more of, of you talking or read some more stuff that you did, where would they find that, Ross? You can find me first and foremost on Twitter, where I, my handle is at Ross Hunneds, R-O-S-S-H-U-N-N-E-D-S. I do try to respond to people as much as I can. So, you know, any questions about anything, jazz basketball, other things, I don't know what they would be, but jazz basketball mainly, um, uh, I'm happy to answer your questions. Um, you can find my articles on Star City Games. They go up on Tuesday mornings usually at 11 o'clock Eastern. If there's a deviation from that schedule, usually I will let you know on Twitter. Uh, occasionally our uh, fearless leader, Cedric, does reshuffle things for various reasons. Um, I am also the host of Versus Live, or co-host, I should say, along with Corey Baumeister. We do uh, our show live on twitch.tv slash Games, same channel you go to to watch open coverage on Tuesday and Thursday afternoons from 1 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time. It is a great time if you can join us live. We take questions straight from the audience, answer them on air. We play games of whatever formats we think are relevant, decks we think are relevant, maybe things we think are fun, uh, and we have a good time with it as well as being educational. So that's a great time. If you cannot catch Versus Live when it is indeed live, 
These shows do go on the Star City Games YouTube channel. Tuesday shows get uploaded the following Friday. Thursday shows get uploaded the following um, Monday. So you only have to wait three or four days uh, to see them pre-recorded. I think that's it for me. What about you, Tannen? You know, thanks for the segue. I appreciate it. I, there's one more thing I wanted to bring up in the show, and I forgot. Did you see the locale and the setup for the 2020 NFL Players Draft? The what now? Where the... All right, so you know, like, the, the NFL Draft every year. Locale. L-O-C-A-L-E. Yeah, okay. Lo- I was just thinking low-calorie for some reason. And I was like, are they on a diet? Like, <laughs> They're all going vegan. You know? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, are they not just doing it in Madison Square Garden? That's where they usually do it. About right? as far from it as possible. Uh, Aruba? Well, not physically. <laughs> or like, geographically, like, still within the country. But it's in Las Vegas. Okay. It's... It'll be on a stage that's on the fountains of Bellagio's water. So literally the fountains will be in the background. When you get drafted, they will put you in a boat and you will be boated to the stage. Oh, that's not... Somebody's going to fall out, right? Okay, someone's going to fall out or do something stupid or do something fun. They're going to try to like surf the entire way. I just want to see someone pick up Goodell and just jump in the water (laughs) with him. It's going to happen. I hope it's... uh, Well, they don't televise the entire thing, but I was going to say I hope it's Mr. Irrelevant. Taking last. Just the last person who spears yeah. him. But like boom. It, they they only televised the first like two rounds, right? And yeah, Goodell's only there for like round one. So yeah. I don't know. Which which is pretty cool. This is only about two miles from the new stadium in Las Vegas for the Raiders, which I don't know if you've seen the stadium. It looks like Darth Vader's helmet. It's just a big like thing of black. I don't it's like sheer shiny black. Last like. time I was there, they were like building it, it. it they were building it and they weren't super far along you could see mo- most of the real like big infrastructure was up but it wasn't com- even that like first level wasn't complete but i'm just looking at this like they announced it on like twitter and stuff today and they were talking about it. i'm just looking at this and i'm like i see no problems with this nothing <laughs> will go wrong this will go off without a hitch yeah you know what'll do anything stupid a bunch of 21 year old kids like living out their dream on national tv do you I'm wear a suit a- to this Oh, yeah. They, they, I'm, I'm pretty sure there's a dress code. Like, you have to. Yo, I'm, I'm wearing a suit with, like, a lay. Or I'm wearing, like, you know what I mean? I'm doing some, like... I want, I want somebody with a, uh, like, you know, full business up top. Button-up, tie, nice jacket, and then just, yeah. like, board shorts beneath yeah, that's what with, I'm like, saying. palm trees yeah. on them. In sandals. Like, yes. 100%. Oh, yeah. Straight like up sandals. Open, open toe sandals. Like, yeah. I want somebody it might be cold, like though. It's Vegas. It's never cold in Vegas, except at, like, midnight when it actually does get cold. Yeah, in the middle of the day, it'll probably be fine. But I forgot to bring this up. I wanted to make it's sure this guy was April. Show. There's no way April in Vegas is cold. It, it can be. Have you have you have you seen the weather outside? Have, do you know what's going on in Baton Rouge right now? It was 80 like three days ago, like 80, 85, right? Like I was sweating outside. Of my it was 30 today. Like if it rained, it would have snowed. Yeah, there was a big heat wave, and that was a reaction to it. Like it was it was yeah. been warm in Roanoke up until the last up until like three yeah. days ago just, too. Just, just saying, things things are things are not okay. It's yeah. it's out of whack. Great but things can happen, like that. but the odds are against it. It'll be fine. Yeah, of course. Which we could probably bet on because it's in Vegas. Well, the weather will be fine. I agree with you that like doing this, I I don't know what kind of security much. they have, what they're doing. They might send out a memo to the players. Like somebody's going to do something ridiculous. I do I do love that. I'm going to love when it rains, and it's like the one day that that month that it rains, or one yeah. day out of those couple months that it rains, and they're just going to be like, like what the hell? I haven't I haven't watched the NFL draft in. A number of years. Uh, I will. I will definitely watch at least the first pick. Yeah, the first pick. The first sure. I'll watch like the first round. I'll have it in the background do, doing something else. But I want to see Burrow get drafted. So well, is, is he going to go watch, one overall? 
Uh, it's like almost 100%. He is a, so the Cincinnati Bengals have the first pick. He's a native Ohio boy. They need a quarterback. Yeah, they're moving like, on from Dalton. Yeah, like they, they've come out and said, we're not trading this pick and we want Burrow. Like, okay, so he's going to go number one. I've heard there's a defensive end that's supposed to be really good. I can't remember. There's, there's a couple other things. It's just, they need to, they need a franchise player. And like, yeah, that's, yeah, just, yeah. that's just a quarterback. The, the Plus, dude just fucked up all of college football, like had six touchdowns in the title game. Like, dude, he threw 60 touchdowns this year. Six, yeah, zero. Yeah, a lot, a lot. So, uh, how many binary so, digits that is? Huh? Do you know how many binary digits that is? I don't even know what that means. Uh, if you expressed the number 60 in binary, ones and zeros. Ross, nobody cares. Okay. <laughs> you can tell me later. You can tell me later. Ross, I care. How many is it? I care. I'm I, sorry. I believe it is six because it's between 33 and 64. Oh my god, I hate you so much right now. But and there's going to be a lot of other LSU players drafted in the first and second round. So it'd be cool to see because like our entire team declared and like half our coaching staff staff so already left. So you're but, telling me you're not going to want to watch LSU football next year? Oh, they're still going to be very, very good. This will win at least ten yeah, games. This is what year. happens when you're a big conference. Well, yeah, I mean it's it's LSU. Dude. We we recruit really well. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway. Um, you can find me on Twitter at the Tannen Grace. Uh, I'm pretty active on there. Not as much the last couple days. You know, I'm working a lot, but I do respond as quickly as possible on there. And uh, a lot of sports stuff, a lot of magic stuff, et cetera, et cetera. If you wanted to listen or read or do anything else involving the cast, it also has a Twitter at Cast Pioneer. Um, on there, you can find a link to our Discord. Uh, it's somewhere on our Twitter. I need to get it as a pinned tweet or something like that. Somehow it got it got moved. I don't know. I don't know what happened. But there's a link in there. Our Discord is um, really active. Uh, tons and tons of people in there. We have... If you like the tangents on the show, you'll definitely like our Discord. It's got a lot of channels that pertain to magic, but we have like a food channel, a memes channel, video games, sports, sports channel, TV. TV, movies. Yeah, yeah, Basically it's anything you want to talk about. And, you know... Sometimes, you know, I just fire off about things because I have strong opinions for no reason. Yeah, same. We, we do a lot of fun stuff in there, a lot of things that we recommend. Plus, there's a lot of cool people in there having a lot of good conversations. I, I a lot of times, don't even, like, inject myself into the conversations. I just actually go back and read the whole the whole thing th- through. And I have definitely stole ideas from people in there. Like, I've been oh, like, definitely. oh, yeah, this, is, this, this sounds good. Or, yeah, yeah, this person's all into something. want to mess with something in there. So, In particular, if you, like myself... Worship at the altar of one Joseph Howarth Ingalls. I know I do. You're going to want to get in the sports channel where there are many jingling memes. Oh, there's so many jingles. So many freaking morons get jingled all the time. (laughs) Also, uh, last little piece of bookkeeping. We do have a Patreon. Uh, We have a ton of patrons already. Again, thank you all of you. Uh, Y'all are great. We have a patron-only channel in here where you get a little more... uh, what's what's the right word here a little more attention than some of the other ones you know i'm always checking that one as quickly as possible we're going to post some cool stuff in there um i was hoping i could announce the thing this week that we've got working on uh it was not done yet this week but next week i should be able to be able to announce it even maybe before the show i'll be able to put up on twitter we have a little cool thing coming for our patrons and then we have more coming in the future oh god ross just put up a meme of jingled in the uh that was not the channel i meant to put that yeah in. yeah he put it the wrong channel but it was really funny but anyway, so I, I don't think you had actually thing. seen the freaking moron meme, which is like the thing that started all the jingles memes. This is the original one. Okay, cool, cool. I'll, I'll have to look at it. Why is there a kangaroo in it? That's He's Australian. So I didn't know he was Australian. I've never heard him talk. But anyway, um, so you, you're telling who, me you worship at the altar of Joseph Howarth Ingalls and you didn't know he was Australian? The reason is it's because he's awesome at fantasy basketball. I don't listen to them play. I just look at the stat sheet. <laughs> well, now you know.
Yeah, okay. but the, and knowing is half the battle, all right? And I'm halfway there. I don't even know You're anymore. Pretty close right, anyway, to being shunned Give us money. Blasphemer. Go to our Patreon. We need it. Brent needs to pay for stuff. We need to pay for stuff. I don't know. I'm a lot of sorts now. <laughs> yeah. He has to do a lot of work reining this nonsense in, okay? This is not a, a, a an easy job that he has. No. I mean, if you listen to us, think about, think about <laughs> what goes on behind the scenes or before and after. Or how many times we've had to reshoot entire episodes because of Ross. Not that me. That was one time, okay? No, 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 no. It's been twice. Wait, no, it was one time. It was only one time. We had to move on a multiple days. Yeah, yeah, that wasn't your fault, yeah. though. But we did have to reshoot an entire episode, actually, once. We did the whole two-hour two spiel or whatever. Anyway, I still love Ross. But that's at patreon.com slash pioneercast. Not and as much as he did before, but... <laughs> I love you, Ross. Anyway, I think that's going to do it for this week. We went a lot longer than we meant to. Again, apologies for the tangents. You don't like them. If you do, you're welcome, America. And uh, and Europe and the other countries that listen to us, uh, I know I think we had somebody from Australia tuning in like once or twice as well. So yeah, as we should, yeah. Brazil is also a really popular country for magic content. Yeah, yeah, we definitely have a lot of South Americans. I love your continent, by the way. Great food, beautiful, beautiful area, like the beaches, the mountains, everything. God, I want to go back to South America. His so wife that. is from Ecuador. Have you been to Ecuador? It's gorgeous. I'm, I actually I haven't been to anywhere in South America. Definitely on the list. It is. You got to be a little careful of the certain parts that you go to, but there's like some some stuff going on, but. It is gorgeous, and the food is great. Uh, bring a lot of Tums. Maybe you need it. I'm fine. Nah, yeah, Peruvian, I especially like. I'm a little more... Oh, God, yeah. I'm a little more sensitive to the stuff than you are. Anyway, um, that has been this week's episode. Thanks you, for everyone, for listening, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>